0: live you're tuning into the cosmic children podcast i'm your host kevin and today i have christy from the slow press in the studio with me so to kick start the conversation christy could you please introduce yourself and could you please describe what is the slow press
1: hi everyone i'm christy i'm the founder and editorial director of the slow press so the Slow press is a magazine first and foremost At the heart of it all uh, we are a food magazine and i say magazine in very loose terms because i don't see it as just a print product i see it as what we try to shape as a community so we like to plan events we also like to make the magazine of course and also do a lot more of like social media content so that people can regularly engage with us and share a bit more about our lives as like novices in the kitchen and whatever we learn on a daily basis
0: so While doing my research for this particular episode, one question kind of strikes out to me. Why a magazine? Why that particular output initially?
1: I think this is the time period that everyone's like getting into this indie scene and everything. Mm, And yeah, I mean, people just say it's indie thing to do to run a magazine. I wasn't really swayed by that. So what I started doing was I was writing this small newsletter. I think it was like a circuit breaker thing where everyone was like making their own like mailing lists. And I sent out some of like the recipes I tested out at home to my friends. So it was a very small thing, but it grew a bit larger after like circuit breaker. And then I was friends with like a few people who wanted to run a magazine and like not really specific to food or something, but we found out that everyone likes food a lot. Mm-hmm. Everyone cooks a lot and likes to read about food. So that's why we started The Slow Press. I wasn't really very familiar with like print as a medium. So that's why I have Ike on the team who helps me out. Like he, he tells me what kind of magazines are like in style these days yep. and like how I should like formulate a magazine from yep. start to end. Yep. So, I think that's why we started a magazine.
0: Yeah. You mentioned you have very little experience with regards to print and publication and magazines.
1: Right. So, like, I guess little experience as in I didn't really grow up reading magazines. I've always always seen magazines as, like, something that, like, people look to for, like, fashion trends and not really, like a journalism output. Yep. So for me, my background runs more of like digital journalism, I feel. And I like long-form content a lot. Mm-hmm. So I consume a lot of rice media, I guess, in the past few years. I really like the stories yep. and how in-depth they are. So I guess more of like what I aspire to do is like stories about Singapore people. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really limited to food, but like food was something that I discovered along the years as yep. I worked in like a bit of f and a yep. bit of like service. Yep. And, like, food just brings everyone together in general. So,
0: I'm curious to know, what is your definition of journalism?
2: Mm,
1: That's such a broad question, Mm -hmm. but sure. (laughs) Journalism, I feel it's, like, telling stories of people. Mm. It's really not limited to anything. But to me, like, what I look out for in journalism isn't very... I don't like things that are, like on the surface. Like, if mm. you're telling me to go to this place to eat a certain thing, I feel like it's not the kind of journalism I like to consume because yep. I prefer to, like, form my own opinions of, like, this hawker center. I don't want people to tell me, like, top 10 stalls to, yep. like, visit. And that really sucks for the owners, honestly. Mm. Like, people just go for the more famous stalls yep. that are in food blogs. Yep. So, I don't really count that as, like, journalism because mm. I feel like it might be a bit biased because mm. the person writing it is not gonna try out like
0: every single store. They can't at the can't. Yeah, they, they they can't do it, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. So what my definition of journalism is, is when you go down and like you interview people, you formulate like your own opinions and they still have to represent the masses in some at some point yep. because like you can't just write about yourself like mm. unless you are really the top tier, like super famous journalist. Yep. No one's gonna like buy your stuff. Yep. Yeah, so I feel like you still have to cater to what people think, but you should present something that's quite unique and refreshing to them yep. in order to like stand out. Yeah.
0: Yep. It's interesting because journalism is just what you describe, but when I put food journalism together, I I can't seem to draw any images. So could you please describe um what does it mean to, to do a compelling uh, article, to do a compelling piece or a story with regards to food journalism? How how has that process changed um as as you have ran the slow press across the years?
1: Right. So I think when I first started, um, I, I read a lot of like food reviews. They were a big thing in Singapore. But because I didn't really see that as journalism, mm. I got in touch with like stories of like hawkers when I had to write up like like normal journalism stories for school so we could interview like people at the web market and Mm -hmm. ask them about like oh this is your livelihood then what time do you wake up to go to like the fishery and like get your fresh fish and people will tell us like oh we wake up at like 2am but we go to sleep at like 4pm so we get enough rest yeah Yeah, so when they share these kind of stories with us we are like oh it's actually like food related and it tells a lot about like how these people live their lives Mm -hmm. because their lives are like built upon food yep So that's how like food journalism kind of like got pieced together for me. And I feel like it's not really just describing like the taste of food because everyone has their own like subjective opinions of food. And like if you have never tasted this thing before, it's quite hard to like describe it in a way that's like familiar to someone. But I think it's also about like talking about the food culture in Singapore Mm which is like, there's so much to talk about. And that's why like, I feel like we'll never run out of things to talk Mm. about when we're doing food journalism. And my ideal story would look like interviewing somebody who maybe like, runs this independent business mm-hmm. or like maybe a family business or even if just like people that cook at home, they're cooking like the grandmother's recipes, yep. but they're like maybe like a uh, 18-year-old who's still like preserving these traditions. Mm-hmm. And like there's so many small facets in like this whole big society that people don't see. Yep. Yeah, because I think to a lot of people, food is just like something that they need to like get past the yep. day. And yep. more often than not, which is a bit sad, we usually just like... Go past our meals, like, they won't really pay attention to it yeah, because we don't we're think so about busy. it as well. Yeah. Yeah. So when we have like meals between work, it's always like, oh, I'm just going to get like the cheapest or most convenient option available. Yeah. So I guess we have to appreciate food outside those meals that we cannot skip. Yeah. yeah.
0: I want to put a pin on food culture, but I want to go back to what you said about approaching, sure. let's say, these restaurateurs, these chefs and these people when they, let's say, go and get their ingredients and everything. When you go to the wet market and you speak to people. What has the, 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 reaction been, um, when, when you're going to, let's say the winemaking, you're talking to, to the vendors and everything. Were they surprised that, that people are even interested or was it just, uh, just, just a regular day? Yeah. What was the reaction been?
1: I think it started off being quite intimidating for me okay. when I was doing journalism in school. Mm. There was this module where we were placed at Tanglin Hall. Which is like okay. the neighborhood that has a lot of on-block flats already, yep. and because that neighborhood was kind of perishing in a way, hawkers were already moving out.
0: Perishing, interesting choice of words. Okay, <laughs> because like food perishes, so I think they got to me. Fair, fair. Okay.
1: Yeah, so we were like tasked to like, oh, we have to speak to at least five people. That was our first time there, and everyone just looked at each other because we we're like second-year students, and we we're like, oh no, how are we gonna do this, yep. right? Yep. But. One of us had to do it, la, because yep. we are all in like small groups yep. and like just went out to the auntie and be like, hello, auntie. Mm-hmm. Ni like, like right. how, yep. how long have you been running this store? Yep. And sometimes it surprises us when they are like, oh, uh, like 20, 30 years. As and then seen. they look like they're just like 40 or 50, yep. right? And then sometimes they are a bit like, don't disturb me kind of mm-hmm. attitude. Mm-hmm. And like, we have to look past that, la, and we have to always see that like, we are befriending these people mm-hmm. first because we're not that far off from them. Like, maybe we didn't grow up in the same kind of family, but they are all, like, the same as us and we're all, like, Singaporeans. So, like, they won't bite.
0: And
1: (laughs) when we go up to them, it's always, like, you just have an open-minded mindset. If they look like they're not very receptive, maybe they're just, like, busy. But most people are, like, surprised when, like, I go up to them or, like, people my age go up to them Mm. because they don't usually talk to people, like, in this demographic i guess other than their like grandchildren and like i think they're mostly happy that there are people interested in their craft in what they are trying to like prolong or preserve yeah so
0: with regards to that particular project being at tanglin speaking to all these people what what stood out to you even back then
1: I think people have this like very peculiar glance when they see like young people at the web market or the hawker center it's, carrying it's, cameras. It's, it's
0: pretty odd, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, school project again. Ah. <laughs> they like, I keep getting this kind of like reaction. And I feel a bit like, oh, I mean, it is a school project, mm. but I really want to appreciate in detail. Mm. So when like the press started, I didn't have to say it's a school project anymore. I just say, I want to do it myself. I'm interested in learning more about this kind of food. So like, I mean, it's still very scary for me sometimes. Scary, okay. When I try to challenge myself by going to like new markets, those that i'm familiar with is like some of them recognize me yep. because i'm like the only young girl yep. that's not like with parents or anything mm. going to the market yeah so i try to like step off my comfort zone sometimes and i just like stand at the store for a bit too long then they, they'll just be like what do you want and i'm like oh actually i just i want to talk to you but i don't know really how to do it yep. then i just like pick up something and i just ask Did you like, obliged
0: to buy something <laughs>
1: I, I I try to go to stores that I can actually buy something. Yeah. You know, I won't like look at fish for too long. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't even know what fishes these are. <laughs> so like I think starting with like vegetable stores is more manageable. Yep. Then I think the easiest question you can ask is just like how do you cook this vegetable? Or like what is this used for? Like can you cook soup with it? Yep. Then people start to open up a bit more. Mm. They're like oh you want to cook? Like you know how to cook? Yep. Or like are you buying it for your mother? Like yep. I help yep. you choose. So it's quite interesting. Then they will like teach me how to choose certain vegetables or like sometimes before I leave, I'll just be like, oh, can I get some spring onions? And they just throw in a bunch for free. That's cool. Which is like amazing. Yeah. But, but they're like so supportive, uh, yeah. which is yeah. very nice. Yeah.
0: So before, let's say, this particular school project and mm. um, placing you in an environment where I guess you have to take an initiative to, to start talking to people in the wet market, which has its own, <laughs> to me, has its own rules and regulation. and There's a very certain <laughs> type of flow to it. Um, Have you... Uh, been to the wet market before, let's say, with your parents and observe and seen them, let's say, buy certain things and stuff like that. Were you like a frequent, uh, I guess, patron of it before?
1: No, I was never actually. Okay. So that particular school project made me like see the world in a different light and also wow. like- <laughs> it plus really one for did. school, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only thing I took away, oh no. Yeah, that's fair. yeah. But yeah, before this school project, I was never really, I never really needed to do anything- For myself, it's Mm -hmm. like, I haven't really stepped into the world of journalism yet. I knew I like writing and like, I like food, but this was like maybe three years ago. So that was before I actually like was very invested in like cooking and anything that was before COVID actually. So yeah, I only started cooking a lot more during COVID. My parents don't really go to the market. They frequent NTUC a lot more because it's like they can go anytime of the day. They just like pick stuff up after work. It's still fresh. So nobody actually mentioned about like going to the market to me
0: yeah yeah do you think that there's a discrepancy between let's say the convenience that let's say supermarkets bring and what the wet markets provide and bring
1: Mm, there are a lot of like different pros and cons honestly like for me the biggest merit of the wet market is that you can choose whatever quantity you want Mm. so you can just pick up like one clove of garlic or like one chili and then the auntie will just not count you for that you'll just be like, like she can't even count. Like what's she going to charge you? Like she can't charge you 10 cents for chili. It's not fair. Yeah. But at like the supermarket, you are forced to buy like a bag bag. of 30 chili parties. And I'm like, how do I even use finish that? But people argue and say like, oh, we can just freeze it. But then Mm -hmm. again, like if I can afford to have time to go to the market, like once a week, it's also very therapeutic to me. And I rather get, yeah, like it's, chaos but like a beautiful kind of chaos yeah i rather get fresh ingredients weekly and i get to see like what's new and like what's not around so it's kind of like testing me like testing my recipe skills sometimes i plan to like oh i really really want to make avocado toast but because it's like an imported product you don't really have it on some weeks Mm. so it's like oh damn i can't i can't make
0: it anymore yeah Yeah. i think one of the interesting things about i guess the, the, the convenience that supermarkets bring is that Every time when we go there, or every time at least when I go there, I expect to see oh the chickens, the, the poultry, the pork, and everything. Mm-hmm. But uh, and certain fruits are there; they're always yeah. there. There's always that expectation. And I go there; it's gonna be there. It's gonna be this particular price. Yes. But if you go to like the wet market, that might mm-hmm. not be the case. Like because you go there because of seasonal stuff, importing, mm-hmm. exporting. So so that's a very interesting thought to even hold because we are so conditioned that oh we go there. You have this mangoes for like four twenty, and you see. Yeah. But, but that's not always the case.
1: And everything's like packaged nicely and it's not like it's not too expensive as well like of course it's like for the people and like everything is just there for you yeah so visually it's very different as well
0: yeah so going back to that pin about food culture so I have to ask do we have a food culture in Singapore
1: I'm very sure we do okay people come to Singapore and call it a food paradise. I mean, they're not wrong because Mm. we have so many different cultures coexisting in the same place. Mm. It's quite amazing how we like don't go to war with each other. But then again, there's so many stories about like different businesses fighting for like, oh, I invented this dish and there's like the whole the victory restaurant thing. (laughs) The guy almost went to jail. Yeah. So there's like so much politics within food but we don't really see it but it just it just exists like why must we go all the way to like little india to enjoy the best indian food and like people just don't like i think they don't really feel very comfortable to like set up a restaurant and like a random neighborhood they're like i'm more comfortable in like little india because like everyone is there Like everyone that can appreciate my culture to the fullest is there yeah i think there's like so many like existing things and so many different forces at play when it comes to like food culture but I guess to people who don't think like too far about food like if they're just looking for something good it's everywhere and it's also kind of a culture where everyone just rushes to like the newest cafe that opens or like maybe some other overseas outlet like Shake Shack came to Singapore people queue forever and that's also a part of culture no matter if it's good or bad or like but people are doing it, so yep. I think that's very interesting to
0: observe as well. Yeah. So before we move on, I'm 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 curious to know what particular food culture or what types of food did you grow up with? Mm, Was it think, um, cooking at home? Was it going out? Yeah.
1: I grew up eating mostly my grandparents' food, so half Hokkien and half Cantonese and they mostly just cook like regular Chinese dishes. So, oh, last time when I was younger, I really hated eating like bean sprouts. So it was something that I would pick out of like Bihun and I just naturally avoided Bihun for most of my life. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Until I was like maybe 20 years old, you know. When people buy like Bihun for breakfast, I hate Bihun yep. just because of the bean sprouts. Yep. And I hated Char Kwe teow as well. Because of the because bean of sprouts. Because of the bean sprouts. Yeah. And yeah. Laksa as well. Yep. So I hated a lot of what people would call like Singaporean yep. food. So I didn't really grow up with that kind of food. Yep. And at home, I really hated eating like things that are so flavorful. And I only realized that when maybe I was in like... JC. Yep. Yeah. Which was such a waste, but I'm happy that I figured it out, like, finally. I don't know what happened to me, but it happened. So, last time I used to grow up on, like, rice with, like, frozen fish fingers. Like, that was something I wrote about in volume three or four in the editor's story. Fish
0: fingers are the the... Like the nuggets of like fish, right? Yes, like the frozen
1: food. So I just ate a lot of like fried nuggets and like fish fingers when I grew up with rice with a fried egg. And I was just like very averse to like eating like braised meats and that kind of stuff. It always seemed like too funky for me. Mm. But my grandma used to make the best like um, braised pork sandwiches you know like the steam bun kind
0: of pao yes
1: gotcha. that's the word gotcha. yeah but i've never eaten it. At all so i just eat the plain bun with the soya sauce
0: oh my god <laughs> and me running
1: a food magazine like yeah. 10 years the later how ironic yep yep yeah so so that's me yep.
0: do you do you cook
1: yes yeah, so i started cooking after JC times because I had like a eight month break before university started I think I was a bit bored and also because I'm the only child at home and that means that I have a lot of time at home and like you mean I'm just gonna eat the same thing from my neighborhood every single day (laughs) and I've never been around in my neighborhood you know because like I spend so much of my time in school Mm -hmm. from like secondary school to JC I spend five days a week like long days in school And we never ate anything outside of the canteen because like pocket money was limited yeah. and we just ate like McDonald's if we had the chance Fantastic. to. Fantastic. Okay. Yeah, so I think that period was just like, oh, um, since people are like providing recipes online, right? I can just search up like anything I want to eat and why don't I just try making it at home? So the first few things I tried to make was like scrambled eggs because mm-hmm. there's literally like no ingredients, just like yeah. egg, <laughs> butter, yep. Yep. salt and pepper and yep. like can you eat it with bread or just eat it on its own. So I think like I spent a good six months trying to like make the best version of scrambled eggs. And I, I watched so many like Bon Appetit videos mm. and like different chefs trying to cook scrambled eggs. I'm like, ooh, how is it even different? Like, yeah, I think that fascinated me a lot. Yep. Like media, especially like YouTube being a platform for like all these like munchies videos and mm. also like worth it. Yep. Yeah. So that was very interesting. And like, I think I was just naturally curious to like buy things from the supermarket Yep. It always seemed like a very adult thing to do, you know. It is. Go there and like <laughs> buy some fruits. Then like you head to the kitchen and you're like, oh, you haven't weighed this thing. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to weigh it, but it's just one lemon, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, what? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So that was a whole like new culture for me to yep. like unearth.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's how I started cooking. So with regards to cooking and recipes, I I, I find it very... um. I guess heartwarming in a sense because it, it kind of opens up like a new dialogue with let's say your elders, yeah, like like you mentioned your your grandma with like the kong ba ba and everything, mm. um, has has. Your, your, your journey in cooking helped you have like a closer relationship with, I guess, your parents and I guess your grandparents as they talk about, I guess, their culture, they share their recipes and you learn from them.
1: That's a very interesting question. Yeah. Because when I think I was observing my mother and how she cooked, because after I stopped living with my grandparents, like after I grew up, then I didn't need them to like babysit me yeah. the entire day. So I just like, I mean, they just let their own lives without caring about me because I was like in secondary school yep. then my mother would be the one cooking dinner for me not my grandmother anymore so I was just like curious and like I would just observe what she does in the kitchen and one day that was before like the JC times I asked her like can I try frying my own egg because I kept eating like the fish fingers and the fried egg right <laughs> at least I tried to make the fried egg because yeah. the fish fingers doesn't need to be taught to me yep. <laughs> just put it in the oven so I asked her that and then she was like oh you try it oh. all then when I was cracking the egg I missed the bowl and dropped on the floor. And then she just scolded me, you know. Like, I really didn't expect her to scold me. She was like, you can't even crack the egg when you try to fry it. So, I, w- I was, like, quite upset after that day. And she kind of, like, made me not want to step into the oh, kitchen. Oh, dear. Okay. Yeah. But I think after I told her, like, I'm going to try again. And, like, you don't disturb me. I'm just going to try to not make a mess. Yeah, and, like, yeah. you can trust me. Yeah. And then after that point, it's like, I got very interested to find out how she cooks her stuff, because I'm just following like online recipes, right? Literally they tell me to put like all these ingredients. And I don't even need to like ask for help. Yeah, and there are like pictures and videos. But when it came to like what she cooked, it was quite high level to me. It's like she can perfectly fry like a wedge of salmon, and it's like mm. ooh, it's really delicious when she yep. fries it but when I when I look at the sample, I'm like how long am I supposed to <laughs> and like she just says oh by feeling, oh, no. like mm, just, just flip mm, when I keep
0: hearing that as I well. don't know
1: I don't know then when she fries vegetables I'm like how can it taste so nice like there's a beautiful char on like the Chinese vegetables or like the broth is like so thick yep. and then I'll ask her like what do you put inside then she will be like oh like the dried anchovies dried scallops like read this then I'm like how am I supposed to obtain all these things and like how does this even work right yep. like the whole like Chinese Chinese gastronomy world yep. is, it's just insane because they like boil things for like five hours they do, they do like how do you even know what goes together there's too many herbs and spices same for like a lot of different cultures yep. that's why I've, I've stuck to like western food like (laughs) just throwing vegetables into the oven that's the best meal for me back then yeah so i think i've asked my mother like what do you put in your vegetables and she's just like soy sauce abalone sauce and like oyster sauce then i'm like she it's not even like you put your own you just buy the sauce from the supermarket and put it in then i was like a bit shocked because i thought like she made everything from scratch but then i think after reading like cookbooks and like I guess observing what goes into my dish in general, I figured out that like, there's ginger, garlic, chili body, and like salt, pepper, onions. Like, pretty dude, staple that's stuff, the yeah. best stuff that can flavor any dish. Yeah. And after like reading to Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, like reading that book, it was like life-changing. Life-changing? Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. <laughs> like like that book was really an eye-opener okay. because like it tells about how you use salt, how you use fat, acid, and heat. Like you don't really look at food that way.
0: That's more of the gastronomy side, right? Yeah.
1: But when you figure out, like, you need a bit of each in each dish. And like, sometimes you want to like cut down on butter because it's like not very healthy. Then you'll be like, Oh, but my dish is lacking flavor in that aspect. And sometimes some things can't be compromised if you're looking for that balance of flavor. Or sometimes it just needs a squeeze of a lemon. So it's like all these things that make me like, want to cook more. Yep. But cooking is also a hassle in itself, I must say. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel so lazy to like, oh my gosh, like I hate cutting vegetables. <laughs> like I know okay. that's like such an easy step for people, but I'm not very good at like chopping things evenly, especially like carrots. Yep. I can't do carrots yep. at all. Yep. Yeah. So it's like when I have to Cut like a lot of vegetables. It's like oh my gosh, I'm not even gonna get to the frying stage. I like <laughs> I like it when like I, I like saute my aromatics and yep. like ooh, there's like nice smell yep. and yep. Like, I see things boiling and things yep. coming together yep. and that makes me happier. And I need you to get the through now. the yeah. the prep work, but
0: yeah. Have you cooked for your family before?
1: I did that before. Yeah. I'm so proud of myself. For doing that. <laughs> okay. But I don't think it tasted that great. But I remember like for Mother's Day and Father's Day. And yep. I think in that particular year, I, I first started cooking. Then I made them some food. I can't remember why it is, but it's probably like some kind of like tomato pasta or something easy. And then I was like, Oh, I followed this recipe. And like, there's some things that I didn't understand. Like, where can I get? this certain ingredient and like, why must I buy celery? It yep, sucks. Yep. Yeah, then to asked my mother and she's like, oh, you can just stick it out. La. Like, I'm not going to kill you if you don't follow the recipe. Yeah. Then I just realized that like, recipes are just like a guide for you to like improvise on and I had a bit more knowledge then so it's like, a bit easier to tell like, what's right and what's wrong. Yeah. Mm. And like, people are not going to judge you at the end of the day. Like, you try. Like,
0: like this is lacking salary and it's going to get mad at you. Gotcha. Yeah. So, at what point of your cooking journey are you at right now? Like, scrambled eggs, no issue. <laughs> Pasta, no issue.
1: Okay, like, fun fact. Like, mm, in 2018 and 19, I tried selling sourdough toast in my university hall.
0: So, what is sourdough toast?
1: Like, you know, like, toast just with, like, avocados or, like, toast with scrambled eggs. Okay, okay. And, like, toast with smoked salmon. Yeah, okay. those were, like, like the brunch basics.
0: It sounds like so, brunch food, yeah. Yeah,
1: it's kind of like brunch food, but I just sold it at, like, 3 4 dollars because okay. it was in school. Yep. And I just did it for fun. I didn't even make the bread myself. But I just enjoyed making scrambled eggs so much at that point <laughs> of my time. So I was like, let me run my small little shop. And then my friend did like a coffee pop-up. Yep. So we just did this kind of like brunch service. Everything for melded together. Gotcha. Yeah. So that was actually how I started cooking a bit more. And at what point I'm at now, I think like there are some days that I really want to make a nice meal for myself. My nice meal is not, it's not crazy complex. La. I enjoy following a lot of people Who are like chefs and like people who like make recipes on Instagram? Because like whatever they do is so inspiring and like they post a lot of videos which are very visually appealing. It makes me hungry all the time. It's
0: ridiculously beautiful uh, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes they
1: plate it so well, I'm like, oh, let me try. (laughs) But like, never mind. (laughs) Yeah, so because of that, sometimes I feel like very inspired to make like a certain thing that people have made, something more complex. So sometimes I will try to like make my own sauce or like, I really enjoy making like pesto. Mm. Mm. so it's like a very flavorful pasta but it takes a lot of effort and sometimes i make like bolognese from scratch so like i roast the tomatoes instead of using like canned sauce and stuff and i need to like use a blender and then buy fresh herbs so when i feel like a fancy meal i'll try to make that for myself but like on normal days i i do cook like random stuff like i'll just put together like noodles that are boiled with like a bit of like chili oil and like maybe a fried egg and like fry some minced meat with like some peppercorns and like, yep. it's, it's not bad It's yep. a meal. Yeah. Does so there's the, two different
0: types. Does the fish fingers make a appearance? No, no not, not anymore. Not, not anymore. <laughs> gotcha. Thankfully. Yeah. yeah. So going yeah. back to food culture, um, what do you like about uh, Singapore's food culture?
2: Hmm.
1: I like it. I like that it's very vibrant and diverse. Okay. I think the more I read into like food culture, the more I expose myself after starting the Slow Press. It's been very different from like what I experienced in my life mm. because like there's so many cool people out there doing very amazing things and like... They're they are very, very brave to, like, start their own, like, path. Yes. Like, you see restaurants doing, like, Singaporean fine dining. And you're like, what's even... What is Singaporean, like? Are you trying to make, like, a fine dining plated laksa or nasi lemak? Mm-hmm. Like, at first, I didn't understand what they meant by that. But, like, people like Magic Square are doing so much for, like, the community because they're taking, like, Singaporean ingredients or, like, ingredients that we use in Singapore and, like, changing it up to another level. Like maybe they use like Japanese dry aging techniques for the Mm. fish, but they pair it with like ginger flour or like tamarind, like things we are familiar with, but in a very different kind of context. And that's like super interesting for me right now. But other than that, I think like hawkers are so amazing because they started doing this thing so long ago and every hawker store just tastes different. Even if they're selling the same product, which is like, oh, I can get, like, super good, like, bak chow mee here. And then if I go another neighborhood, it tastes different. Mm -hmm. And, like, I think it's something to look forward to. (laughs) And there's just, like, so much food for us to consume. I think recently I've been trying to, like, step out of my comfort zone a bit more and, like, not just keep eating the same stall and, like, trying out maybe, like, Malay cuisine, Indonesian food because, like, I've never really been in touch with those. And, like, now that I'm trying it, I'm like, oh, there's so many different types of curry and, like, Center. I just tried like this Sri Lankan food thing.
0: Sri Lankan food? Yeah,
1: I had no idea how to order at all. It's yep. basically like Sri Lankan fun, or like the same concept as nasi palang. So it's just like... 10 different dishes there yeah. and like there are no names on labels, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, you're just pointing and yeah, you're just then getting it for there you. was this
1: guy carrying like a really nice plate of like five dishes and then he looked like wow. he he can speak English. <laughs> so I was like, of course, like, then I just like looked at him. I was like, how do I order the yeah. same thing as you? Then he just looked at the guy and then they would just look at each other and then we were like, oh, all oh, good. Then <laughs> <laughs> he was like, yeah, this one's nice. Then yep. we are like, okay, let's just like get it and pay. Yep. Yeah.
0: So, so the so... stepping out of your comfort zone means uh, just trying different cuisines or is is there like certain... uh? certain types of ingredients or certain types of food that you will want to, I guess, learn how to appreciate or just try?
1: Mm, I think something that, okay, it might be a bit overrated in Singaporean culture, like, yeah. you know, Peranakan food. What is that? So, it's like non no, Nonya cuisine. It's yeah. kind of like what the government portrays as like a beautiful marriage between Chinese and the Malay cultures. Okay. So, it's kind of like a interracial thing. So, like this this group of like Singaporeans they they cook stuff like ayam bakalak and like beef rendang and like it's a a mix of both cultures but there's no like fine line between like what is what and there's also a bit of like tension over there between like different cultures because it's kind of a bit of each yeah Mm. and those dishes require like really really long prep times because you need to like make a spice paste, like a rumpa for it. And yeah. like, you need to use a pesto and mortar to like grind, to grind it, it yeah. If yeah. not, it's like not authentic. Yeah. But people can just use a blender. It's the same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that, but it's okay. No, it's really the same. <laughs> yeah. But like, I mean, your grandma won't tell you to do that yeah. anyway. Yeah. So they've, they use like so many different types of chili, so many different types of like spices. Yeah. And like, I feel like it's very underappreciated, like this amount of like labor that goes yep. into that. And then like, when you taste the, the curry, you're not going to say like, oh, they put like candle nut in this. Yeah. They put like yeah. tamarind in this or like star And it's Like, you're not going to like point it out. You're just going to slurp down the whole yeah. thing. And, yeah. and then when you ask like your mother, like, oh, like you see your mother spending like three days cooking it and you're yeah. like, dude, that's yeah. insane. Yeah. So like, yeah, I think that's one facet of like food culture that should be more appreciated beyond like the touristy value of it. Because yeah. like if you go to like Violet Owns kitchen, which has so many outlets right now. Like that's the main like kind of dishes that they are serving, yep. and a lot of like tourists just like hit there.
0: Yep. Mm. It's interesting you mentioned it because I was gonna ask. Like, do you feel that we we don't appreciate the the diversity of food, and I guess even the food choices that we have in Singapore? Because what what I do like, and when I look into uh, how people do their prep for for certain kinds of food, I like. The, the ritualistic aspect of it because something they are right. so, so so used to doing. And yes, you can use a blender to achieve the same results, but they didn't grow up with a blender. They yeah. grew up with perhaps their parents teaching them how to do this. And there is something very ritualistic about that, that it's it's quite esoteric, like all this uh, effort and energy goes into food and yeah it's made with love and whatever, whatever. But do you feel that, um, especially across the years, I was going to ask you, what have you noticed about uh, the food culture changing across the years?
1: Hmm. I think food culture is very, very broad. I think mm. it can be broken up into like I guess the different demographics mm. and like even like how people's lifestyles are shaped. Because like I think for people who are like students, they don't really see a need to like cook at all. Yep. The most they cook is like a hot pot or in like the Maggie university hall, yeah. yeah. Or like late night food. I yep. just like So
0: it's more functional. Hmm.
1: I think a lot of people still come from that kind of standpoint and like I guess meal prep was quite a big thing. Maybe a few years ago, people are like, oh, I I started like working out. So yeah. I I just cook like chicken breast, sweet potato, then like <laughs> bunch of greens. And I yeah. just like, I can pack it and put it in the fridge and I yeah. have the same meal like ready for me every single day. Like I just need to do it once a week. Yeah. And like, I think that puts food in like a very sustenance kind of mindset. Yeah. I mean, it's great for people who believe in like things being like an orderly fashion, yeah. the easiest way out. Yep. And like, I think a lot of Singaporeans still feel that way about food, especially like if you go to anywhere during like the rush hour, you see like office workers just like queuing up for food and they're like, oh, I'll just go for the one in the shorter queue because I don't have time. Yep. Or like when officers like order in food, they're like, oh, grab food, then they just pick whatever. Lah. Yep. So it's always like everyone just has to eat the same thing. Yep. Or like, I mean, if they're at the hawker center, it's like at least there are more options. Yep. So, if people are going to spend like five days a week having the same thing as other people for lunch, I think that kind of like restrains their mindset on like, oh, I, I don't really have like head space to think about food, right? Yep. So, I think that's something that hasn't changed about like food, unfortunately. Yep. Like, I don't really see a lot of people like taking time to like think a lot about food. Yep. I think maybe. People are starting to realize that like, oh, there are a lot more like varieties that they can choose from. Especially like when tourists come to Singapore, they they have a lot to explore. Mm. But I feel like they don't really think about the process that goes behind it. And sometimes like people market food as like, oh, we really like get the freshest ingredients and we really like put in like so much effort in the kitchen, right? I I don't think that should be downplayed in any aspect. People shouldn't be like, oh, but why am I eating like this $20 fried rice when like I can just get like the king of fried rice one for like $5, you know, Mm. like people don't see like the value in like the hard work that goes into it. And it's not the same as like, I think something people tend to do a lot is like they compare the cost of the ingredients to like the cost of the dish. And they're like, why am I paying like this amount when like, this this fish, if I cook it at home, is only like $10, yep. right? What am yep. I paying? Like $40 to get like the best steak but the piece of meat is like 12 bucks yep. for the same grams, you know? But you don't see like craft is one thing and like, yeah, craft craft is very, very important when it comes to food as well. Yep. People can like spend thousands of dollars on an artwork. Food is also an art yep. and not trying to be like cliche or anything but like I think people that work in the kitchen really work very, very hard mm. and like I mean, that, that's, like, the whole thing about how people should be working, like, lesser hours, you know, like, when Candle Nut told everyone that, like, they're having, like, four-day work weeks and stuff. And, like, I think F&B is, like, slowly starting to shift a bit more. Like, they're making these improvements within, like, restaurants yep. that are, like, more independent, like, at least. Yep. I
0: yeah. think F&B has always been regarded as, like, a brutal business. It's it stupidly is. stupidly brutal. Yeah.
1: yeah so when when it comes to food culture like there's so many aspects of it like consider yeah. like people working in food culture and people appreciating it and like yeah
0: so have you always had this um perspective with regards to food like seeing beyond the plate or seeing what is just right in front of you have you always had this mm. or no. did you after let's say after that that's illuminary course in, in, in your school and then you started a slow press and you started to, to I think, broaden your perspective with regards to the, the amount of effort, the amount of prep, I guess the amount of like hardship that goes into just creating something consistent. Mm. I think what, what is very interesting to, to me about food is like because the ingredients are, uh, they're kind of alive in a sense because it, it's actually quite difficult to get consistency with regards to going to like your regular store and you're mm. expecting like a certain flavor. To me, that's very difficult to get because I I throw stuff onto the fire and it becomes edible and the food, the, the taste fluctuates. Mm-hmm. So the idea of getting mm-hmm. consistency even to your restaurants and everything, I think it's it's quite difficult. Yeah, it's like an art in itself. Yeah. yeah so back, back to my question, have you always had this perspective? And if not, uh, what changed it?
1: No, I've never had this, this perspective until like recent years. I think it's a mix of everything. When I first started cooking, I realized how difficult it is. Like if you... Don't know how to cook. You're literally just dealing with raw vegetables. If you're hungry, you're like, oh no, how am I supposed to make this into something I can eat? So I've eaten so many horrible plates of my own food. But then when I eat it, I'm just like, oh, I didn't sort it properly at the start. I sort now, also no use. After I eat so many plates, I'm like, I have to deal with my own consequences. And like, cooking is literally so hard. Even after like a few years of like playing around in the kitchen, like, sometimes it's like, oh, if I'm super hungry, I'm just going to like walk downstairs and get like a bowl of noodles. Like can't yep. take it anymore. Yep. I'm not yep. going to like try to figure out what to make from the fridge. Mm. But it's also because like, I guess when I traveled a bit more, that kind of like expanded how I see food because like um, when I went on exchange in the UK right before like COVID and me and Melody, our designer, yep. we lived in the same house. Yep. So like the other people in our house had like lesser experience than us in cooking and like experience both of us didn't really have much experience yep. yeah so we were like oh no what do we do and then both of us like kind of plan the meals for the whole house like almost every single day yep. i mean sometimes we we'll eat out but we know that each meal will cost like at least 30 i heard it's
0: ridiculously expensive yeah, yeah. and
1: then like the portions are also like ridiculously large mm-hmm. sometimes yep. like when you eat fish and chips you're like oh no i can actually share it but then sometimes if you go to a restaurant, you don't really want to like, just like share food, you know, it's like yeah. a very Asian thing and people like look down on you, mm. which mm. sucks lah. Yep. But so we had to cook quite a lot and like, that got us cooking a lot of Asian food because it's something that we couldn't really find. And then we had to, like, make use of, like, limited ingredients. Sometimes we just make our own, like, dumplings because we couldn't, like, we didn't want to, like, buy the frozen ones and keep. So, for Chinese New Year, we made our own, like, dumplings as, like, a bonding activity. And, like, all these things of, like, seeing people in our house come together, it was very different from, like, me cooking by myself at home because they're actually people tasting my food. And they can't really blame us because they can't cook. So (laughs) in order for them to save money and still have food to eat, they have to suck up like whatever we we (laughs) cook for them. And (laughs) then they are tasked with like the dishwashing. So like, I think it was quite fun for both of us. And that's probably one of the reasons why we started the Slow Press as well. Yeah. So I think it's, yeah, it's definitely a mixture of everything that I've experienced, especially last year when I got to go to Vietnam, mm. it was very, very cool to see like how people can just set up a shop from a push cart. And then people have like one induction cooker, but don't have space to put it out for people to see. So they have squat down and like fry the meat. Yep. Then they're like, oh, you want, you want the group pork? Then yep. they just start frying for you and you yep. have to wait like maybe five minutes because if there's a queue and something like that, then there's also like grab drivers waiting and everything, right? Yep. Well, I think you see people like, making things out of nothing and yeah. they're doing with like super limited space, super limited ingredients and like, they don't even have like a proper fire. It's just an induction cooker, right? So when you see people make delicious food out of nothing, you're like, but people in restaurants have so much and like, why? Like, this, this it gives me so much to think about yeah. because like, I think in Vietnam, a lot of foods have like raw vegetables, mm-hmm. like literally just chopped vegetables, yeah. a bit of fish sauce, chili yeah. padi yeah. and like, this kind of like aromatics that we can get in Singapore as well. So it's like, oh, if vegetables can taste so good raw, then like, what what am I missing out on like my entire life? Like, why haven't I formed an appreciation for it? Yeah. And I think, especially in Vietnam, it's quite cool that they have different, they use rice for so many different things. Yep. Like rice paper is like a craft of its own because yep. like, after it's being made into paste, you have to like, dry out on the racks that's why there's like all the patterns right mm. and then like, I remember my mother telling me like oh it's so funny like it doesn't look like like cloth like then I'm like literally that's what they dry out <laughs> and, like mom they didn't stamp it <laughs> <laughs> then, like you can see rice in so many forms it's being used as like prayer food items as well so like I guess it's similar to kui in Singapore yeah and then there's like sticky rice and then there's also like different kinds of rice rolls similar to like chi fan and yep. also like Different types of like things—they are similar to kuei as well.
0: Yeah. yeah. It, it sounds like having the opportunity to, I guess, travel abroad to our, let's say, like neighboring, like Bangkok, Malaysia. Mm. It kind of broadens um your horizon it as really to what did. people use food for as well. Like yeah. How how they 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 utilize. It sounds like they're utilizing. Uh, they're doing a lot a lot with just very very it's just little. just one thing, yeah. and it's
1: something that's like native to them, which is why like oh I think something that like inspired me a lot was like. I mean, it still inspires me. Is this bar called Native? Mm. If you have heard of that. No, I've not. Right. They're like one of the best in Singapore. And like, I guess I wasn't really into bars here until I started the slow press and made friends with like some people from the industry. So like after visiting that bar, I was like, dude, they're literally there's one drink that's like pandan. There's one drink that tastes like kaya toast. And like- That's incredible. Yeah. And they make their own like distillates. So it's like you're taking one ingredient that like everyone just like disregards. I feel like people just like, oh, pandan is just enough flavor for like chiffon cake lawn. Yep, like I yep. can eat vanilla, I can eat chocolate and yep. there's pandan, which is like an Asian flavor, I guess. And then the, I just realized like, there's so much that they can do with like pandan and coconut and it forms like the base of like Malay cooking, Indonesian cooking, yep. Thai cooking. Yeah. And like, because I had the opportunity to go to like Thailand and... Bangkok as well as KL for the art book fairs yep. last year with the team. So it was like, dude, I, I literally made that decision for myself. I was like, I want to try more Southeast Asian food and like, let's just go there and like apply for the art book fair. Yep. So that was like the biggest goal for the store press last year. Yep. And also happy I did because like the food there was just like different. Like I go there and I eat, I eat stuff that are not like the Thai food in Singapore. Mm. La, because I just, I just try to like, avoid it <laughs> because like what well, like how different can be so pork taste over yep, there yep, and yep. and here yep. yeah
0: i mean i keep hearing uh my friends who let's say they go to japan mm. and they let's say take like the sushi over there and, and and the wax lyric about how different the, the sushi over there right. is compared to whatever that is served here and it's so it's on another level that's mm. what they keep saying so what i'm curious to know is like when you travel um to these countries what do you think um we could learn from them just in terms of like food Ooh. culture and, and stuff like that. Because there is something very unique about um, the way they treat food, the right. way they handle their food. I think I remember back in Bangkok where uh, there was like, this market and people just set up like uh, just a roadside stuff and they sell like tzu there. And it's like, yeah. okay, cool. Yeah. And, and the food is, is, is stunning. Mm. Yeah, but you will never see something. You will never see that, that, I guess spontaneity and 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 that um that practicalness in Singapore because it's oftentimes very regulated, you need to have certain yeah. like guidelines and boundaries, which is a pro and cons of it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious to know, having having traveled to these particular places, what do you think we could learn from them?
1: Right. And to go back to what you mentioned about like the sushi being like great in Japan and stuff, I feel like Singaporeans have this mindset of like looking outside of Singapore for like greener pastures they yep. just be like oh like I want to go to this particular place like I always yep. want to travel Singapore is so boring yep. and like I really really like to debunk the myth for them because it's like have you tried every single hawker centre in Singapore? Like have you tried this restaurant? Yep. Have you even went to the market? And then when you go to a market in like Bangkok and you're like oh night markets are so cool but then you avoid pasamalas in yeah. Singapore <laughs> and you say like oh very smelly very noisy And yeah. like I really don't understand that aspect of like Singaporeans but then it also comes from like I guess like genuine curiosity when they go there and like they change their minds which is great like they might return to Singapore with like a different mindset and I think what we can learn from traveling to other countries right like I guess you try to like talk to locals and you get the recommendations from them Mm. or like for me if I'm eating street food I don't go and search like I mean it's impossible to search where is like the best food and like because some places like the push carts just appear and yeah. they don't appear anymore the yep. next day yep. Yep. and you don't even know their op- operating hours yeah. right so usually if I want to eat something local I just like walk around and like see what people are eating then I'll just like go for it yeah and like I think in Singapore the mentality is always like I want to search out the menu before I go there and the menu doesn't even exist yep in like these small shops or like yep. eateries oh, I can't even understand the word <laughs> especially in like Thai or Vietnamese I'm like yeah. oh, alright I'm yeah. just gonna like point to the next person's meal yeah. and like can I have the same thing yeah, yeah.
0: it's so, an adventure of its yeah, own yeah exactly
1: yeah. I think that's like the most fun for me I think a lot of people started asking me for like recommendations after like they've seen Slow Press post about stuff and I'm like, dude, this place doesn't even have a location tag. I mean, I wish I could help you but it's just this store opposite this row and they're like, it's okay, I'll go find it by myself. But I think like locals know best. So like what, what I've done is like I just... I just find, like, English-speaking people and ask yep. them. La. But if yep. not, I'll just, like, observe and see, like, oh, this has the longest queue.
0: And you figure things out on your own.
1: Yeah, even if it sucks, it, it's still better because, like, I don't even know what's, like, the precedent, right? Like, local... I, I trust that, like, I'm eating authentic food there and the people look like they know their stuff. So, yep. like, whatever, like, I won't only really want to, like, pigeonhole into, like, this is good, this is bad. I, I don't have any, like, standards yep. anyway. Yep. Yeah. So, what what...
0: It's interesting, I think, in recent years where there has been a lot of uh, importation of these particular cultures. Like, you have Thai food in Singapore, you have Vietnamese food in Singapore. Have you heard the adage where people will seek out spots where they they kind of communicate only in that particular language and they think oh that, that that's good have you heard that that adage before because a couple of my friends will, will go to particular let's say like uh Filipino food or mm. like Vietnamese food and they go and when they go in and they, they and 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 people are speaking like just the native language they know it's good yeah because there's this trend of um having to cater to our taste buds having mm. to cater or having to to divert away from let's say how pad thai tastes in let's say Thailand to how pad thai tastes in Singapore i've heard where what is authentic or original that might not fly here because we have such yes. different or unique taste buds.
1: Yeah, there's, there's really a lot but it depends on the business's goals. Mm. Some businesses operate to serve like the local, their local communities that are living in Singapore especially for like the small Vietnamese eateries. Yep. Like the, the best ones out there aren't those that are in like the malls, but basically just go to Geylang and like yep. they will be speaking in Vietnamese. So you will know like, oh, that's the right place yep. to go. And then sometimes you'll just see like locals around and stuff. But I don't think like Singaporeans should should be like so picky in like what they eat. Yep. I mean, it's, it's good to be like using that as, a, as like a benchmark. Like for example... Um, if you own a Japanese restaurant, the chef has to be Japanese. <laughs> or like, I don't know, some people look out for that. Like, why are you cooking like Malaysian food when you're not Malaysian? Yep, that kind interesting, of thing. Interesting. Because like a lot of hawkers nowadays, like because young people don't really want to like take over their family businesses. You will see like people who are not like, definitely not from like a hawker family, starting like a hawker business yep. and stuff. Or maybe like, I guess, mainland Chinese people. Yep. also like helping out at hawker stores. And yep. you'll be like, they're not from Singapore. Then like, why are they doing it? Mm-hmm. And then you like, avoid that store. But what if like, they have the best food like in the hawker centre and yep. like, I don't want people to like, have the impression that just because you are not from this culture yep. doesn't mean that you can't cook the food. Yep. And I feel like, it, it makes people like, have a barrier to entry in some sense. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes you might feel intimidated to like, go up to like, certain people to like, ask for help, yep. even like, I, I guess it's, it's also a very like, cultural thing lah. Like, sometimes you feel like you're not qualified to like cook qualified. a certain a certain cuisine just because like your grandmother wasn't Pranaka and then like you might feel like you're doing things like not by the rules and like skipping steps and, like how would the person feel like the person yeah. who wrote the cookbook or yeah. like yeah, maybe like an elder person who has so much experience. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Um, I do think that we face a ridiculous churn with regards to let's say we talk about Hawker centers. Yeah. And how we, it seems that we have this fixation on like mm. renewing things and even like uh, re, revitalizing certain spaces. Mm. I, I've, ex, I've seen so many, let's say uh, case in point, like the old, old Changi Airport, uh, old airport Road like there was yeah. this really big um, Hawker uh, center over there. Yeah. And I think one of the days when we tried to go down for food and realized, oh, it's closed. Mm. And we look at the notice, oh, they're just changing different things. And they're, I think closed for like two to four months. Oh. And it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's like, if, if I'm a hawker over there, it's like, how am I going to make a business and make yes. a living? So I think one of the recent trends that I've noticed is where a lot of like these uh people who run individual stores, like they've been, they, they might have been working for like decades even. And big franchises coming in and taking over and and yeah. uh starting up their own, let's say their own Thai Fun franchise where it's all the same. And you lose a bit of that um, that individuality.
1: Right, yeah. yeah. Th- that's what
0: I've noticed. Have have, have you noticed that um, in recent years as well?
1: Yes, definitely. I think when like... It depends on the business goals though. Like Hawker Chan has like opened up in overseas countries mm. and like they have so many franchises now. But I started from one yep. like China Down store yep. and because they got like a Michelin recognition or something back then. So it's like, I think a lot of people think that the standards have changed since mm. then. Yep. And like... I guess Singaporeans being Singaporeans, they just like compare and like, oh, it used to taste better. Yeah, it didn't have yeah. this kind of thing. But
0: it's all subjective. Who it's knows, all it's subjective. Really,
1: yeah. And it's also not like, I guess you could say commercialization, but it, isn't it great to like put Singapore on a greater map and yep. like let people know like this is our pride and like this is what people last time worked hard for. Like they are not working hard to like Raised in ranks in like the corporate job, but like these people are fighting for like the best chicken rice, and yeah. like I think that's pretty admirable. And like, nothing should take away that from the hawkers.
0: Yeah, do you feel that, um, in a very short let's say, if we project like five to ten years, that we will lose a very integral part of uh Singapore food culture, which is the hawker center? Because as, yeah. um a lot of the hawkers have been operating, let's say, two to four decades even yes. and nobody wants to take up the business or even if they try, a lot of uh, variables are acting against them with regards to rent, with regards to cost mm-hmm. and they're not able to sustain. I think for every, it's, it's, it's interesting because if you look at, let's say, the, the, the local papers, you would say, oh, this uh, 26-year-old quitting banking and fucking doing fishbowl noodles or yeah, something. Yeah. But with with those articles being very prevalent, you also see um articles where people just can't sustain it mm-hmm. and it's, it, it, it makes me think that there will come a point in time where you lose a lot. You lose that whole base of, let's say, elderly people or people even yeah. wanting to 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 do business as, as a hawker and it gets replaced by uh, uh bigger franchises. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that also changes with like the shifting meaning of food mm. to each individual. Like if the hawker just gives up, maybe they are just like, it's not worth fighting for anymore because like, my, my rent's just gonna get yeah. higher. My, I can't raise the cost of fishbowl noodles. There's like so many like news articles saying that like people have been complaining because I increased the price by yeah. like 50 cents yeah. or like portions are getting smaller and stuff. Yeah. But they don't really see the bigger picture because like they are the consumers and like they, they technically don't have to, but like people are like sweating it out to like pick yeah. out food for them. They yeah. work insane hours and yeah. like you've never worked in FMB before, right? It's nothing that you can like. Complain about you know, like I think it takes everyone to work in FMB to know like, oh damn, I should appreciate my food a lot a lot more and not like go to a cafe and be like, hi, can I have water? Like you can see that people are like busy and stuff, right? So actually, a lot of talk about like food and like culture comes down to like who we are as people and like how we act in like a public space. I think like a lot of people don't see that. And that's why people are, like, just differentiating, like, franchises and, like, hawker centres so much. But, like, of course, we're going to lose, like, a lot of our culture. But, like, I want people to, like, appreciate the culture to begin with. Mm. Like, if you're just going to see your hawker store as, like, oh, I'm just going to get the same food. Like, I can get cheap food. Like, the biggest thing that I don't like about what people think about hawker centres is, like, oh, I love hawker centres because the food is cheap. And, like, oh, but... I don't really want to sit there because it's a bit hot, so I'm just mm-hmm. gonna like tap out and like pay for containers when I can like bring my own, right? If I'm coming from the office. Yeah. they you're not even doing them a favor, because like they need to order more plastic boxes <laughs> because of <use>, you. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> then like, yeah, people just like, oh, I love focal food, it's cheap, but they don't see like there's a crazy amount of prep work that goes into like Thai fun. There's like, the curry dish already takes like 10 hours to boil. And like, you're just like, oh, can I have a bit of curry sauce? You're like, <laughs> you don't think about that sort of thing. And then like one day yeah. your Thai fans are gonna run out and yeah. like, then you just complain like, why are they closed? Why are they yeah. sold out? But but like people are just trying to live, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like, I guess because Singapore isn't as street as it was last time. As what, sorry? Street.
0: Street, okay. Like
1: last time hawkers used to be like along On the, the road and yeah. like, that's why the government wanted to like put them into like more organized centers. Yep. Because we didn't see that era of Singapore. Mm. So it feels like a bit like we don't see the hard work that goes in and like how they progress from like those times. Yep. And like, I guess when we go to like other Southeast Asian countries, we see like how, how like bustling the streets are. And yep. we're like, oh, this is a novel thing to do, to yep. dine by the yep. street. But we
0: used to be like that in the we 60s, 70s. Like yeah. And yeah. like, you're
1: not being appreciative to things that you already have. And I think because of that, we are losing a lot of like our culture. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Does it feel in, inevitable in a sense as Singapore tries to to brand itself as like a food hub It tries mm. to brand itself as, oh, I'm really trying really hard to, to preserve these particular hawkers, these particular food cultures. But on the other hand, you find you have people like, like these hawkers are facing this incredible churn, like they can't keep it up, mm-hmm. no, nobody wants to to take to, to up the business and even if they want to take up the business, there's like the 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 incentive of profits. I mean, there's been recent articles where, oh, there's this like particular Kueh store trying to sell the recipe, then nobody wants to take it, then nobody wants to take yes. it, then it will close and the closest people are sad. It feels inevitable to a certain degree that we'll face a point in living as Singaporeans where you go to a hawker and you see the same thing. Like, The malls. (laughs) You go to the malls, you see all the same thing because it gets a bit too difficult. Like all the variables are stacked against, I guess, uh, people even wanting to try.
1: I think like the biggest turning point for everyone was definitely Circuit Breaker and COVID Mm. in general because like digitalization has invaded our lives Mm. and like the only way to get convenient meals is like grab and like if you don't understand english if you are like an old hawker and only knows chinese right then how are you gonna continue doing this business you lose like maybe 70 percent of like office customers and like especially during circuit breaker can't even operate even so it's like all these things that like it makes me so worried right but then again there's only like so much i can do like the most i can do is just document them but it's also like not enough because Mm -hmm. like how, how many stalls can I take photos of? Yep. And like, there are a lot of like, small initiatives, which are great. And like, other platforms like, trying to help hawkers, like, those group buys with like, Facebook mm-hmm. groups. And like, they're like, oh, you want ho- order from like, this hawker center, we can all order together. Like, those are really cool initiatives that I appreciate. But I think it, it has to take like, the whole of Singapore to like, do something la. Or like, if people are not gonna like, want to be hawkers anymore, then like, what kind of food are we gonna eat? Exactly. In the future? Like, I actually worry, you know. Yep. Oh no.
0: <laughs> Sometimes when I think about it, I think about how, I guess, uh, privileged and how special of a time where we are able to 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 get such affordable uh, prices for regards to food, as compared to, let's say, in someone in America or someone in mm. UK, you're able to get such unique and diverse offerings, like a stone's throw away mm. from where we live. And if you think about, as I said, if you project out into the future, it seems that that will hit a point where it's untenable people just give yeah. up because it's not worth it. Mm. Yeah, if no if if there's no new blood uh doing this because the idea of even doing something like that for like decades now it seems unrealistic.
1: I feel like it's also something that like Singapore did to itself because like in other countries food that is like native to the country is highly valued by like people mm. and like, like the community. Yes, it's like oh, it's, it's so beneficial to be to run my own family eatery. It's yep. my pride. Like, yep. 40 years of, like, doing this and I can pass this to, like, my child. Like, yep. they, they are very happy to, like, do all these things together, you yep. know, knowing that, like, the whole neighbourhood will come and support. Yep. But, like, in Singapore, everything's, like, meritocracy. Like, I'm, yep. I want to get the best grades and, like, all our children are just, like, striving for, like, the, the same jobs in the company, you know? Yep. Like, I want to be specialised in this field and, like, Of course, we're not going to be cooking. If everyone's like mentality, every parent's mentality is like, no, you cannot be a hawker. You Mm. cannot work in like service. Like that's not good enough for you. It's just going to be like, you have to be a lawyer. You have to be a doctor. And I feel like it's still a very traditional mindset, like competitive mindset, even. Like even if you say like young parents and stuff, like I don't know how their mindset will be, but who doesn't want their child to like-
0: Find success. Yeah,
1: find success and like feed themselves, you know? Like I guess- I do creative work. So like I see things in a more unconventional light, I feel mm, yeah. like, and my parents like, thankfully they respect what I do and what I want to do with my life. Yep. But for a lot of my peers, it's like they, they are stuck in, in like a job that mm. they might not fully enjoy, yep. but they're, they're kind of just doing it. Yep. Yeah. And because of like this mindset, like if somebody were to like, just step out of their job and be like, I want to be a hawker. I want to help my, my grandma sell soy milk then like, everyone's just gonna be like, what do you just do? You just throw away all your education, Mm -hmm. which is why it's like, so unsupportive and so unmotivating for anyone to like, even venture into that path of their life. Maybe like, when they retire and stuff, but like, that's gonna be too late, right? Yeah.
0: I've never heard the conversation where someone says I want to be a hawker I've heard yeah. the conversation where people say I want to open a cafe I want to open a yeah. restaurant but I've never heard oh I want to be a hawker
1: I actually know one friend yeah yeah, who really wants to open a tai fan store because she dream, really likes yeah. eating fun. Yep. And uh, she wrote a piece in Slow Press Volume 1. <laughs> there was a picture of her in primary school eating fun, which is really adorable. <laughs> yeah. So, like, when she told me that, I was like, dude, maybe I should go and sell vegetables in the web market. <laughs> like, let, let's be in the same hawker center next time, man. Props. Yep. Yeah. So, it's like, because of how, like, society has ingrained this, this thinking into us, it's like, it's, it's just impossible to imagine, like, somebody being a hawker, somebody inspired to like be a hawker. I'm sure there are people out there, like don't get me wrong. There are a lot of young people that are stepping up and that's amazing to see. But that's also not going to be sufficient at all.
0: It's like whether is it sustainable, the inflow and the outflows, like it's always like this particular battle. And
1: like, of course, given the resources we have, who doesn't want to open a restaurant? If they have the money, they can jolly well do it. They can just find a unit and like bring in fancy furniture and like, get started right so yep. it's easy to say like I want to start a cafe and you can find people that are willing to work because like hours are okay yep. you get paid decently yep. and like people enjoy the space anyway it looks it looks good yep. yeah food's good so like I think it's just like a very different kind of like social class in a sense mm, interesting which also sucks because like if you're just eating hawker food because it's cheap but yeah. people like to them that's the only thing they can afford yep. And that's one whole new thing that that like, that's why Singapore is like so unevenly distributed. Yeah, it looks so put together. Mm. Yeah.
0: Could you elaborate more on that particular train of thought? Like, yes. What do you mean by it's, it's unevenly put together?
1: Mm. I feel like, okay, so if like a tourist comes to Singapore, then like hawker centers are being advertised as like, oh, you can go to one place and try everything at yep. once, right? I yep. can get satay, I can get nasi lemak yep. and like, I can have a good meal with five friends yep. and everyone gets everything. And like, I guess that mindset of like making hawker centers like looking good for like the tourists. So there are more touristy ones like Sat mm, yeah, and like yeah. Oh, the spot has changed
0: so much. Sat.
1: Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> and they do like the sati thing on like Friday's and stuff? Yeah. So like, I guess the act of like making the hawker centers more like I guess clean Pre- and yeah presentable for like that certain district that tourists frequent. I feel like it's just like making like making like a false image of Singapore because like I guess tourists don't really go to like heartlands and stuff, mm. but like. That's where we grew up, man. We're that's not true. like local people know to like avoid Lau Patsa yeah. on like weekends because like oh, we're just gonna be full of tourists yeah. and also like the prices are like higher and stuff and like it's more curated and people don't need to like deal with like bad food experiences. There won't be five stores selling like chicken rice yep. like some other hawker centres. You just see like people competing with each other yep. and people yep. don't know like which is like nicer, right? But then you just like hit or miss. You just try out and like that's the whole experience. But like because of how like people usually go for like more curated things, I guess, if they get to do so, then like that kind of makes them lose out on like the joy of just like discovering food for mm. themselves. And I guess because there's so many options in Singapore, you get to eat fancy stuff. I mean, if, if you if you are like financially able to eat fancy stuff, like you can do that any day. But like for a lot of people who are just like, normal people and like they they just cook a bit and they like eat out a bit and they're like, oh, let's just like find affordable food because like money's hard to earn. Like yeah. that, that happens for me too. Like I cook at home because like food, like if I buy produce and I, I just make a quick meal for myself, it's delicious and it's also cheap because yep. I am my own labor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: So like if we're cooking food to like save money and stuff, it's also a very different mentality from people who can just like, I can buy everything, but, like, that's why, like, I feel like it's a very big, like, contrast between, like, what people are able to enjoy and what people allow themselves to enjoy.
0: Yeah, because yeah. it feels like we have to tread this very fine line with regards to attracting um the, the overseas tourists yeah. while keeping uh food as like a stable i think commodity with regards to serving the people and we have to tread this liner like because with regards to tourists you can charge a bit higher but with regards to serving the local you have to have like Mm. a minimum base rate it's always this really fine economical balance with regards to exactly the the whole presentation of it
1: and how like chili crab is positioned as like a national dish (laughs) but how is it even like national or local to us. Like, I interviewed some people about this mm. last year and, like, they kind of told me that, like, oh, hawker centres are, like, the the normal Singaporean food. But, like, they need to present Singapore in, like, a luxurious manner as well. So, that's why, like, chilli crab was chosen as, like, this dish which mm. is, like, reminiscent of, like, the coast and, like, wow, mm. fishermen working hard and, like, n- it's something that's accessible because it's like very tomato based and like, it's not very spicy anyway if you call it chili crab. And it brings like 10 people together. People can have like a business lunch or like tour groups can enjoy it. That's why like chili crab's purpose is like for that. But the chicken rice is like the food of the people. Mm. And like, so they just see like Singapore in like this light and the other light. Yeah, which was very fascinating for me to hear.
0: Yep. Do you feel like there is like an arms race with regards to the food that uh becomes like a restaurant or goes to like a hawker. What I mean by that is like it feels like it's not enough to just do uh Japanese food. You have to do like a fusion. Mm. You have to do like oh something new. You have to All have right. like some fucking unique uh <laughs> fucking spin to it that that you can uh. brand it and you can market it. Like it feels like the the narrative of the food and the narrative of uh, what that food is, is it goes beyond the actual mm. food. Because it feels like, oh, you have to do like a fusion of Japanese and Mediterranean and like Arab food. And you right. have to have that unique spin of it. Like it's no longer enough to just say, hey, I just want to do good Japanese food. Because mm. we are so, um
1: I guess, spot conditioned by choice.
0: convenience, spoiled for choice. And I guess blinded by the marketing. Yeah. yeah.
1: I think one of the things that I always like cringe a bit is like during a national day month, like August, then people are just like launching local versions of everything possible. And then you see like, (laughs) I mean, a nasi lemak burger is a huge hit. I mean, it's great. I enjoy it. And then people are like, sometimes I feel that they're trying a bit too hard. Like a lot of restaurants started doing like laksa, spaghetti, like uh, curry chicken. Oh, curry chicken buns are okay. But like, hmm, I can't really... Remember at, at this at this time, but like maybe like chili crab pasta and yeah. stuff like that, right? It's always a fusion of like something we call local and whatever they are serving. Yeah. So even like Japanese restaurants might start doing like a National Day special. I don't know. Yeah. But like, I guess it depends on what like the chef, I, I guess, wants to do. Mm. Some people are very like, they just... Lock out everyone and they're like, I'm going to do it my way and I'm just going to serve like authentic French food no one's going to like change what I do. I'm just doing what I do best, right? And like, I guess people who want to appeal to the masses, they just want to keep churning out like new products. Like every month I've launch like a new flavor of like, I-, I guess Bread Talk does that a lot. Yeah. They just keep changing up their menu, which yeah. is like cool and refreshing. I mean, I don't really patronize Bread Talk because like there's so many other bakeries Various. other than Bread Talk to patronize like, yeah. like traditional ones that around me in my neighbourhood yep. but like I guess it's it's cool in a way that like I guess Singaporeans are always hungry for like new things and mm. like they see something that's visually appealing it definitely attracts them already like it's like if somebody invents like a new dessert and it looks great right like maybe like a snow mountain kind of thing you know yeah. that kind of like over the top kind of desserts yeah. and people are like immediately drawn to that so I guess that's like marketing and like design and like yep. visual appeal doing its yep. work especially like instagram because like how people consume food content these days these days are like usually from instagram and like
0: mm. alternative if media yeah. if something
1: isn't like visually appealing to you then like why would you even try which which kind of sucks because like people like to take photos of their food if mm. it's not like presented in a certain way then they'll be like oh actually this restaurant isn't very exciting i can't use that for my article you know mm. and that that's like you are you're kind of downplaying like all the Family dishes, lah. Like, how good can like a luro fan look, or like, <laughs> how good can my mother's fried sweet potato leaves look? And like, that's true, that's but it true. tastes fucking delicious. Yeah. And, like, yeah. So there's always like this: Am I going for like the the Instagrammable quality of things, or like, do I want, just want to serve like yeah. hearty homely food? And I think like restaurants have to deal with like these kind of considerations.
0: Yeah. yeah. So it's like the adage of eating with your eyes, la. Yeah, yeah. And, and and it's weird because it kind of throws a very like, it's like a curveball variable that oh now the food I I produce it has to be cheap, it has to be convenient, it has to be <laughs> taste good, and it has to look good as well, and 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 the funny thing I mean like you can look on Instagram and it's mm-hmm. visually appealing and you see the colors maybe it's edited whatever but. You can't taste it. It's just you're just yeah. looking at it, and you're imagining oh, like all these particular ingredients. You read the the caption, you read the story, and it, it kind of informs your your perspective, even though you have, you've have never tasted before. Yeah. So I think I think that's a very interesting um uh variable. Let's say to throw to like the hawkers who are not tech savvy at all, and they have to mm. they have to account for this variable. That I don't know. It's like a it's like a very strange conversation to to even try to tell them. Hey, uncle, mm. you this. So, like, <laughs> 拍照,
1: yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. oh, <laughs> yeah. You know like how people want to do like the boring shot and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Like, wow, headaches. Yeah, I think the uncle confirmed angry. Yeah. yeah, but I think like the pressure is really on businesses because they need to appeal to like this Instagram generation. They need. I feel like hawkers kind of have a free pass in that because people are like, oh, this is how it should be enjoyed. Like, carrot cake can only look this good. Like, <laughs> how you got to like stack it up it's or not like gonna deconstruct change color. it? Yeah, <laughs> like fine. Since it's carrot cake and it's so delicious, yeah. right? I can let it look like this, like yeah. just a block of things. Yeah. But when like Singaporeans like to attribute like prices to like the quality of or the value, thing. Yeah. yeah, so if they go to like Maybe just like a shop in the mall, or, like fishball noodle store, and they're like, "Hmm, I'm eating in aircon, so this has to look better than the hawker center," mm. you know. Then it gives people this kind of unnecessary pressure just to appeal to like these kind of people, and because of the rise of like food Instagram accounts, right? Everyone's like literally doing it, and like they're like, "Oh, I give this like a five star everything." Then they're like, "Um, but it really affects how businesses are run mm. because, like, imagine if you are." Pretty solid place with like okay food, and like you have a, quite a lot of like returning customers, but actually, a lot of them don't really use Instagram. La. Then yep. some famous person comes in and be like, Oh, I rated a three out of five. And then you are like, What did I do to deserve yep, this? Yep, it yep. really ruins businesses, especially like Google reviews or so. I have a lot of friends in the FMB industry, and they're like, This guy is so friendly. But then I think he's the guy that gave me like a two stars. Yeah. Oh, man. Then it's like, You don't even know what you did yep. to like deserve that. And sometimes, it hurts because they don't even explain why. Yep. Like maybe, like at least try to be like a bit kind or like at least justify why you feel this way. But sometimes people just give a rating and they don't say anything at all. Yep. And then like, oh, your overall style just drops and people are like, oh, the place only has like 4.1. Mm. Yep. Why should I go there? Yep. Yeah.
0: Do you think there's a place, Uh, or what do you think the place for food critic and food reviews is Uh, going off that, that previous thought of mm. yours?
1: They are definitely very, very, like, renowned food, like, critics in Singapore. Those that write for, like, CNA or, mm. like, Prestige. And, like, I, I guess there's, like, this whole community of people who have been, like, critiquing food, invited for, like, food tastings yep. for, like, most of their lives. And I think they do a really good job. And it's hard to find anyone to, like, actually replace them, la, because they're also quite, like, old already. Yep. Yeah, and because they have been doing it, so much of their lives and they really form like that credibility for themselves. I feel like I definitely trust them when like I see their reviews around. Now. Yeah. But nowadays with like the other food blogging websites, literally anyone can contribute. And yep. like the, I guess I guess some, some people like they don't have much experience, but I guess the stuff still gets published and yep. like it's so subjective. So people just have to take it at their own pace and like with a pinch of salt. Yep. So it's really up to the reader's discretion. To, to tell if like th- This is worth it or not la. So I, I feel like The place for food critic in Singapore It's like Anyone can do it But as a consumer of media I think in general You should just be wary of Everything you read You can't just be like Buying into News or like reviews yep. I mean It affects your own well-being
0: do you do you so so let's say if if you want to visit like a new spot you have like your friend recommended to you Mm. do you look up like a review of it or do you just show up and just try something
1: okay honestly people are very scared when they eat with me why is that (laughs) they always tell me to suggest the place because they know that i might say no to most of the places okay are
0: you a very picky eater
1: not picky but i I want to know like what i am paying for Mm. because like if you're going to recommend this place, why not like you try this other place that I already tried and like I feel like it's more value for money. It tastes better and I'm also supporting like a local business, for example. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like my, my thought process when somebody like recommends me a place I mean, if I haven't heard of it, I'll definitely like check it out and see like whether the location is feasible. Like don't make me go to Changi just to eat something. I don't even live in the East. Like I I think like you can do better. Like unless it's super good, I'm not going to go all the way there. So I'm like, oh, okay. I I check out the restaurant and I I kind of like check out the Instagram as well because like I, I guess branding to me matters because like if you don't really do a good job, at like marketing your food, then like, why should I go there, right? Okay. Yeah. But then again, like it also has to be on par with what people say, la. like mm-hmm. I would expect a certain quality if like I read some reviews and people are like, oh, like um all the dishes are great throughout, like um because sometimes people will say like, oh, they're, they're more like misses than hits, that kind of thing. Then I'll be like, hmm, should I actually <laughs> go there? But then again, it still boils down to like the cuisine and the yep. menu. If I think that it's like innovative enough for me to try, and like it's worth paying the certain price, then like, yeah, I'll definitely be up for it. But I guess if sometimes people like recommend a place and I, I know of a, a place that is similar, I would be like, oh, this one's nearer. Or this mm-hmm. one, like, I, I feel like trying out this dessert or something. Yep. Like, I mean, I'm not trying to like convince them, but I feel like food should always be discussed. It's like fun Diplomatic. to talk about, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't want to be like somebody who dictates like, oh, let's all eat here. And then if people don't have their own opinions, then like they just blindly eating the food no like even if we're just gathering for like just a, just a chill vibe right yeah, yep. i think it still matters to me that my friends enjoy the food and they're not just going along with my opinion gotcha and i want to hear what they have to say about the food la. sometimes yep. they'll be like oh nice lah uh, i i think it's okay like I, I can't really tell whether it's like super good or not and like it's it's totally fine like people just have their own ways to describe food la.
0: yep mm. do you have a comfort food
1: I have many actually. Okay. Wow. This is hard. This is Surprisingly. <laughs> oh, like when I when I feel very stressed and I sometimes I do work at like National Library. Okay. So I'll always go to like Fortune Center and eat a bowl of dessert before I go home. Okay. But it's like Chinese dessert. So it's that kind of like almond paste, tangles. Mm, oh, soup, yeah, okay, yam gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Cause it's very warm and yep. comforting. Yep. And like after spending a whole day in the coldest library, like literally that's the best thing I can do before I I go home. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess in general, I really like Vietnamese food after I went to Vietnam. But sadly, I have diarrhea because of it right now. <laughs> so sad.
0: Unfortunate.
1: Yeah. But I think Vietnamese food has shown me a lot about what people can do. And they just wash their dishes like along the street, everything. They do. And yeah. But to me, it's like, it's not disgusting. I mean, yes to like everyone, they like, oh, there's like rats at the stores. Yeah, how you still eat there? And then we like... That, there's no better is, food like, yeah, than like, yeah. th- this auntie cooking it, man. Respect her craft. Yep. Yeah, I think like Vietnamese food has always been... Has been my comfort food since last year. La. Gotcha. So that changed a lot for me. But like, I guess normal food that I can find everywhere... I think my comfort food would be like pan mian. Ooh, yeah.
0: interesting. Okay.
1: Because it's just like... It's very predictable. You're just going to get a bowl of good soup... Yummy chewy noodles. I love chewy noodles. Yep. Yeah. Have you so, tried making your own noodles? Well, it didn't taste very good. So. <laughs> okay. I don't know what, what special kung fu they add to it, like the hati lao person, right? Like woo. Yeah. I, I can't possibly do that at home. Okay. So I'd rather trust other people to do it for me.
0: Gotcha. Mm.
1: But there are a lot of spots that I I keep frequenting la because like just I, I'm, just, I'm Just something about the cooking so and the unoriginal. Though. I just like, no, I can't think, man. I'm just gonna go there. Yep. Yeah.
0: So with regards to food and I guess media and the the prevalence of food and media, you mentioned about how I think Vice had munchies and all these different uh, showcases of food. Um, Do you feel like we're at a saturation point? Because right now, um, there's a lot of like food preparation videos. Mm. I think on YouTube, there is food ASMR, TikTok. TikTok. There is so much.
1: I think we have reached the saturation point way before today, man. Okay. Yeah. I'm happy that people are, like, creating such content about food. It shows that people are engaging with what they eat and they they know what ingredients and they're actually cooking. Most of this is not in Singapore, unfortunately. You don't see people cooking, like, I don't know, Singaporean food and, like, making it into a TikTok trend globally and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, not not saying that it has to be done in order for, like, Singapore to be be known to the world, right? I mean, with regards to food media a lot of what we see is like the the glamorized side of things. And dude, I've tried taking videos of myself cooking like preparation process and I'm like, I just give up. My kitchen's so ugly. <laughs> it's like, this is not a normal person's house. It's definitely taken in a studio mm. which also removes us from like our homely interactions with food, you know. Yep. Like it doesn't really encourage us to like cook, I feel. Sometimes yep. it's better to watch because we know that we won't really make a mess. I mean, yep. we will make a mess if we cook at home. Yep. So like, I guess consuming this makes us like think more about food which is very beneficial lah. But a lot more has to be done in terms of like just going out there and exploring food options on your own. Like, I think dining alone is still very frowned upon in Singapore. Is it really? Mm, especially like I have some friends that are scared to like eat out by themselves. Mm. Like, not just for like a fast meal. Actually go out and like enjoy themselves eating. And it only recently happened to me maybe in the past two or three years. Yeah. That like, I found it socially acceptable to be able to just go out and eat by myself. Okay. Yeah. It's like, it's like very weird, right? I don't know, like to somebody who has never eaten by themselves before.
0: Never eaten by yourself?
1: No, it's like, because in school and stuff, right? You always yeah. have people to eat with. Yes.
0: And so, you have your then, family at home, yeah. you have friends, yeah.
1: So there's literally no need to eat by yourself unless you are doing work at your desk because you need to rush deadlines, you know? Mm. People don't see it as an enjoyment. Like on weekends, if they want to eat by themselves, they'll just tap out food. Or they will just like go out with their friends lah. Yep. Like food is always seen as like a social activity. Let's get out for a meal. I yep. won't be like, I want to go and eat by myself. Like yep. I want everything by myself. Yep. But like yep. it's because I spend a lot of time like exploring markets and like yep. going to coffee shops to have coffee. And then I'm like, oh, um, actually I'm quite hungry. Uh, <laughs> but like I cannot wait until I go home. Yep. So I like, just look around and be like, oh shit, nobody's eating by themselves. <laughs> but like, let me just do that. Yep. And because I went to Vietnam alone both times, then I wanted to eat at some restaurants and I yep. just went by myself. Yeah, that's fair. But it was a bit scary. La. Yeah, because it's like, oh no, I've never spoken to like the, the service crew before. like I've never tried making friends with random people at the bar, that yep. kind of thing. So yep. it's like, how should I go about doing it? But I'm so bored. La. Like, am I going to use my phone? But I'm, I'm overseas. Oversees, I should yeah. be like talking to people. Yep. So I think after I made myself like more used to that, I think it changed a lot of like how i eat outside also
0: yeah it sounds like you're a lot more comfortable with it now as definitely well.
1: now la. yeah I, I try to encourage people to just like nothing to do just bring yourself out for a good meal mm. yeah
0: have you seen the 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 food prep videos and i guess the food asmr videos
1: yeah, yeah a lot it's, of it. it's stunning it's amazing especially it's amazing. like the korean ones the korean ones like so slow and so calming like yeah. people are making like a fluffy cake. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, fuck. and then like, lo-fi music <laughs> yeah, and then, like, yeah. zzz, and then like, the cream come out and yeah. you're like, wow. Yeah. It's it's very therapeutic. Thing, it honestly. is, it is.
0: Does it inspire you to want to, I guess this is where you look at something like this. does it inspire you to want to bake? Or are you just like, fuck this, it's so much work.
1: I think I, I definitely know how much work it is.
0: Mm.
1: And, wow, well, I think like, thinking about the amount of work, sometimes it throws me off. And like, I don't think I can do as good of a job as like, somebody who runs a cake shop. So mm. sometimes it's like, if I'm not feeling adventurous enough, I'm not going to bake a cake for my friends. Gotcha. Because I might fail. Mm. And I failed before when I promised people like, hey, oh, let dear. me bake you a cake for a birthday. And okay. then it just what like- What turned hmm, out? Was a bit, it was a bit subpar. Okay, like it was okay. a bit dry. And yep. I was like, sorry guys. But, but like- <laughs> You try. Yeah, at least I tried. But yeah. like, I guess there's some things that like, I look at it, and I rather just go and get a better version of it outside, like kueh, for example. Yep. I don't really have the equipment, man. Like, who's gonna? If I buy a steamer, I might use it once and never use it again. That's fair. And like, I should support the auntie solar So might as well. Yep. Yeah.
0: So, um, diverting our uh, diverting our attention back to what you mentioned about the slow press. Um, what I found interesting is the word independent. Right. I'm curious to know um, why is it important for the slow press to be independent, and what does that mean? I guess in in this particular uh, context.
1: Mm. I feel like us remaining independent is also because I don't want to like lean towards doing like sponsored content or uh-huh. like brand related content yep. because once I step into that zone, it means that like, I'm doing advertising. And- yep although it pays the bills and like it's functional and like it's, it's what everyone is doing as well but like we are not a um, media outlet driven by news and like I'm not covering like latest restaurant openings and stuff I feel like we like to take things at our own pace and if we are under like another company or like we have the pressure of like people reading us like every week or that kind of stuff we are always pressured to put out content and with that sort of pressure it doesn't feel like creativity as well as like when we want to do things our own way. Yep. And also, I want to remain small because it just saves a lot of trouble for us, like logistically and stuff. Yep. So it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not aiming to like put my books at like um, a commercial bookstore and like have it distributed. A it's like, yep. that's not our goal. Our goal is like, I guess to be able to reach out to independent businesses, being independent helps as well because mm. like, you know, you know your own kind, you know who you're supporting, and people will support you back if they can feel like the genuinity of it all. If you go in with like I mean like I guess you build credibility along the way, but if you go in as like an established person, people are treat you differently. Interesting. That's something that I I don't really like because like I guess they are like the more prominent food blogs and they are invited to like media tastings and stuff. The food will definitely be like more, like, curated on mm. that day and they'll make sure, like, oh, yeah, I better clean the table, keep refilling the person's glass. Yeah. Like, I mean, I've worked <laughs> in F&B before, so when, yeah. when like, the business owner sees, like, somebody important, like, coming in be like, eh, hey, that one from this publication one, like, you just, you just smell a bit more, like, just act a bit more proper because they're taking photos. Yeah. You know, when you have, like, that kind of pressure on you as, as like, I, I guess it, it gives you, like, a pressure to report things a certain way, yeah. especially, like, if, the food isn't very good and like you want to like you know this is like an important person in the restaurant industry then you still need to like sugarcoat things a bit mm. but I guess as an independent party I don't really think too far about like things having an implication on like um, our name or like our businesses and like really here just to have fun and yeah that, that's the mindset of yeah. the slow press.
0: So yeah. when when you go down and you you, you talk to these owners as the slow press, um, do they ask you questions about why you're doing this? How 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 is their food going to be presented? Because I think some of them are like home cooks, like mm. home kitchens, yeah.
1: Yeah, of we operate from a very journalistic standpoint. Journalistic being that we pitch our own stories to them and nobody comes to us with a brief like, oh, I don't even go to people with a brief and say like, oh, I really want to interview them. Like, writers like our own team like pitches the idea among the team and we're like oh yeah actually like this thing's pretty cool like can i go interview this guy and i'll be like sure i mean if the idea is completely feasible yes like go for it i won't be the one be like hey i want to talk to this guy can you help me do that Mm -hmm. kind of thing so it's like out of your own will to talk to these people so with this motivation in mind like i guess business owners know that like you you're really interested in what they do and what I try to do is like, I mean, I read up a bit more about them uh, and like I profile them for certain reasons. Like if they're using like their own ingredients from their own garden, then like it's a very special thing. Like I want to like highlight something that is very unique to themselves and because they know that you have been reading up on them and like you are genuinely interested and I guess having knowledge of the kitchen and like cooking really helps because sometimes we cook alongside these people and like, they expect you to know certain things. Yeah. If not, it really shows like very badly of, on yourself. Yep. So like with with like a mix of these factors, it feels more genuine. And we when we talk to people, it's like, oh yeah, actually there are a lot of things that we don't know. We are here to like learn from you. Mm-hmm. And when they feel that way, they are more comfortable. So they don't feel like they're talking to like a media person. Yep. Yeah.
0: It feels very grounded.
1: We try to. <laughs> Because there's really a lot of things that we don't know and we are a bit embarrassed by that sometimes when we meet people who are really too good. Like, like sometimes, the terminology or mm, what is it about? Yeah. Like sometimes when we... Sometimes we cook with some people and then they're like, oh yeah, you know how to like peel these prawns for, for me. I look at it, I'm like, what if I peel a bit ugly or like I miss out on like certain like, like shell, shell, right? Or, whatever, yeah. or like I crack the egg then got shell inside. Then like, wow, I feel very really stressed when they were like, oh yeah, just fry the damn pillow. Like just say this one, you just go and fry. Then like, can you, can you get the tamarind for me from the fridge? I look at the fridge, I'm like, wait, wait, why why is there like just bottles of things? And like which one's the yeah yeah yep. It's like a bit scary. Like they expect us to have kitchen knowledge and stuff like that. So it's just fun when like you don't know certain things and yeah. like people guide you on it and you yeah. all learn together. Yeah.
0: And it feels yeah. like keeping like an open mind with regards to, I guess, what um is unexpected as well.
1: Definitely. Like I think it, it works two ways. Like you need to know how to like. In order to appreciate food, you need to know how to cook as well, or like mm. at least you enjoy watching the process of like cooking. Because yep. like, if you're just gonna eat, then you don't even know like how the meat is being made. It's a bit like pointless, right? Okay. Yeah.
0: Pointless. Interesting. Um, I'm curious to know how your role has changed, uh, ever since you started the slow press mm. with your like, team. How has it changed, or has it changed at all?
1: It has changed quite a fair bit. Yeah. I think. Okay. The the essence of it all has not changed la. I'm still running most of the day-to-day things. I mean, like, I try to think of, like, Projects that the magazine can work on. The general timelines for the entire year. And like, I'm always looking out for like good food content. And like, if it's nice, I'll just send it to the group. And also like people that I want to talk to and learn more from. Yep. Like cool businesses or even like co writers or like magazine people. And that's not limited to food la, because yep. the print industry has so much to offer. So it's like, I'm still doing all the same things. Slow Press is always on my mind. Like I literally cannot switch off from it.
0: It's a good and bad thing. It's a good
1: and bad thing because like, I still need to manage the Instagram and even if it's not like, replying to like, people who message us, it's also like, thinking about what we can engage people Mm. with and because I run almost all the social media stuff, so, have been doing that from the start lah and it's always very natural of me to like, look out for content and like, a bit of pressure to like, create my own. Mm. I think, something that has changed a bit more is like, I guess I don't really feel the pressure to like, have to write or like have to design as much anymore we have kind of solidified people that we can work with Mm. like at least a stable team of contributors who we really love and yeah they are super nice and like we all work hard together so I think that took us like maybe two years to like figure out like who exactly we're looking for because it's it's a lot to like explain to people what we do because mm. there's also a lot more outside of like the print product right yep sometimes we need help with people to like do like videos for like certain merchandise that we're doing yep. and like people to be in our shoots and stuff they're usually our friends lah, but like it, it takes a lot for them to understand that we are so much more than a magazine yep and at the start i had to do i mean like our core team had to do a lot of the designing a lot of the writing because we were like we, we need to like fight for ourselves and yep. like we need to establish the standards, right? Because we are the ones with this vision. And if we're not the ones starting it and being on the ground interviewing people, then how are people gonna trust us? Yep. Like we literally have nothing to show, right? So we had to set the precedent and the tone of voice for the slow press. So the first first maybe like first to third volumes were very important for us. Yep. Volume four we had a bit more fun and like it was our thickest volume out of the four. La. So I think in volume five, because we found like a solid family to work with, things got a bit easier on like the writing front. And I didn't have to feel like super pressured about the print side of things. And I could use a bit more headspace running events and like thinking of like collaborations between people. So, like, content came a bit more naturally when I wanted to do, like, the web market thing. Mm-hmm. It was purely out of, like, my own enjoyment. It wasn't like, oh, this year's focus is to, like, mm-hmm. talk about markets, talk about hawkers, like, let's go. It's, no, it's not. It's never like that. It's always like, oh, I want to start a new series about this. Like, I want to interview chefs about their menus. Then I'll just do it. Lah. Yeah. So, that, that has become a bit more fun and yep. a bit more flexible nowadays. Yep. Yeah.
0: So, I believe... You guys just launch a uh, volume five. Yeah. So what I'm curious to know is assuming there's gonna be a volume six. Yes, there will be. What goes into the thought um of I guess uh the the, the conceptualization behind let's say a volume? Mm. Where where does it start? Do you all just start like the day after you're launched? Or do you all chill a bit first? <laughs> go, and, go and take a break, then you'll restart again. What does that look like?
1: Okay, so we have like five volumes today. Yeah. And first Volume four, eh, volume 1 to Volume 4, we did everything within the span of our first year of launching the Slow Press. So wait, the wait, format wait. was very different.
0: All within one year? Yes. That's so, ridiculous. <laughs>
1: okay. We wanted it to be a quarterly publication and that really tested the limits and we were like, no way, we're so tired. So we pivoted to an annual publication. I'm <laughs>
0: glad you guys pivoted. <laughs> in Volume
1: yeah. 5. So yeah. for that whole year it was very rushed but I guess what motivated me was like, the more content we have, the, the the lesser lag time we have, lah. Because with magazines that publish only one thing a year, there's only so much that they can talk about for the whole year. Yeah. And as like a food magazine, we just want to get our name out there because like food is always changing. Yep. And the format of volume one to four was quite different from five. So oh, five is, is different, yeah. Five is our first thematic volume. So that means that the stories are more evergreen and mm they're not really like profile interviews and more, I guess volume one to four is like a bit more short form in the sense that like, if something is relevant during that point of publishing, like we did one piece on like Golden Mile Hawker Center reopening. Mm. And that was because like, we felt it was timely to talk to the hawkers about like what improved for them and like how are they motivated to like work harder with like the new like, the new functions of the Hawker Centre and stuff. Yep. So it was a bit more like time sensitive for us to publish. Yep. And that was the goal. Lah. So Volume 5 was more thematic and the curation process was very different as well because we dragged out the timelines a lot. We had a lot more time to do more research, more interviews and pieces were longer in general yep. as well. Yeah.
0: Has that experience of, of switching the gears from 1 to 4 to 5, has it been beneficial?
1: definitely oh my (laughs) goodness (laughs) wow like i've never felt so tired in the first year that we launched because other than doing magazine stuff there was also a lot to do like because everything was all over the place we didn't really know what to do for like social media and like forming the community was hard also like finding our own like style and what is our unique selling point right sometimes because we were so small back then like imagine having like 200 followers and you have to reach out to profiles for your next volume already. Yes. And then people are like, oh, like, you guys just started, uh, like, can can show me what you do or not? Then we literally have five posts on social media we're like, hmm, like, uh, our volume haven't launched, uh, yeah, but like, yeah. I can show you after we launch, but like, we want to do a story on this and it's kind of like time sensitive, yeah. you know? So there's always like a lot of doubt to deal with at the start. But like, I guess after four volumes and you want to do the fifth one, it's a lot of different factors because people are like, expecting a certain standard and it only goes better from here. That's why I always tell my team, like, we're never going to like produce something lesser than who we are because like we can do this. Like yeah. literally everyone on the team is so talented and I believe in them so much. Yeah. So the experience has only been getting better and also because of more friends that we make along the way and yep. like people are just very supportive if they see like consistency in what you do and they're like, oh, you guys are still not doing like paid stuff. I mean, that's great. I mean, how how often do you not see media like yep. doing like ads and stuff, right? So I think for me, I want to keep it that way. Yep. And yeah.
0: So I want to I wanna touch on this idea of getting better a little bit. What does hmm. growth look like for the slow, slow press? Would it be doing more issues? Would it be doing uh, a deeper focus on certain things? So Mm. I'm just curious to know because you mentioned doing better. Mm. Yeah.
1: There are a lot of things. So there's like internally as a team, what do we want to do? I think for me, since day one, it's always for people to discover what, they originally joined slow press for mm-hmm. some people want to do like more food photography some people just want to be able to write more about food because like at least it gives them a platform and a motivation to do so lah. because without that i mean the most they can do is maybe write a post on their instagram you that's know? fair yeah yeah although it's not like a huge media outlet but they know that people reading it know what they are reading yep. they like food yep. so like internal growth is very important for each team member, especially yeah. for, like, the core members of the team. I want people to, like, pitch their own projects and, like, do just, just, just go free with whatever, like, you want to do. Yeah. But, like, as a magazine, I feel like growth isn't in terms of, like, quantity, but it's always about stretching the limits of certain things. Talking about stuff that people don't talk about, especially as, like, I guess, belonging to a younger demographic of things. I think giving thought to certain things, like, processes and, like, Do you even know that like Tose is made from fermented rice flour?
0: That's why it's like slightly sour. (laughs) That kind of
1: thing is like, oh, maybe when you go and talk to your friends or like starting conversations on social media is very important for us. So we always try to like talk about our experiences when we cook together. Although now we don't really have a lot of time to cook together. But I think growth is when people engage with us on social media. And sometimes we see like new people or like existing people that we have always been talking to they'll respond and be like, oh, this is Thai eggplants. Like, when I ask, Mm -hmm. like, what what was this vegetable? I've never seen it before. That kind of thing, right? And then people are telling you, like, which noodle sauce to try from the hawker center. You'd be like, oh, like, that's so cute. Like, I don't even know this person, man. Like, mad props to, like, this person. Like, I guess... I really like it when people are like talking to us about food in an organic manner. Yeah. It's not like they are forced to like join a giveaway, then they like yep. comment their favorite dish, you know? It's just like people randomly say, Oh, yeah, you're going to Vietnam next week, right? Like, try this, try, try this. That, yeah. Like, it's so organic. Yeah. And for me, that that's the most fulfilling part of our journey. Yeah.
0: yeah. It sounds like a lovely uh, community and fan base that you're, you're just trying to build up bit by bit.
1: Mm, yeah. But I mean, it takes time and a lot of effort. But I think at the heart of it all, it's like staying true to yourself. You can, I mean, you don't always have to be like a perfect person, like in terms of like knowing everything, like literally I get scolded by people before. eh? like they, I mean in a friendly way okay hopefully they are, yeah they like because they, they saw us like make a certain dish last time they were like wow my grandmother will kill me if you add this ingredient that kind of stuff right they were like whoa don't be so aggressive <laughs> la. <laughs> like i also learning I just follow some google recipe yeah, bro yeah. like don't be so defensive but then in those instances we feel like people are fighting for what matters to them and that also brings us joy in a different sense. Like, oh, you actually care about how I make it. You actually watch my stories to the end. Yeah. And we are all like not perfect people. We are all like learning how to cook also. So I guess that's like the most honest side of us. Yeah. And always like remembering that, uh, that we're here to learn and grow with everyone else. Yeah.
0: Mm. I am curious to know, do you feel the pressure um, to jump on a medium such as like a video to, to do right. with like, a TikTok? To stay, Relative. quote unquote, relevant do you feel the pressure to do that
1: yeah there has been a lot of like discussion about this lately with with people because when we go to like artbook fest and stuff they're like oh yeah you guys do food right you guys do like cooking tutorials mm-hmm. cooking videos and yep. they're like mm, we are publication for long-form journalism and because that's the medium that i'm most comfortable in and also like that's the best medium to present like research and yep. like writing of course paired together with design photography and everything it doesn't mean that video doesn't like stand a chance in like what we present but like i need to work with my own limits right Mm. as the founder i am not a videographer by practice and like if i it doesn't mean that i don't believe in video i love video (laughs) so many good videos out there but like that's not our strength lah like just put it like very honestly yep we should just concentrate on what we are best in and most comfortable in I wouldn't want my friend to like pick up videography just because Mm. it's like oh you only can join the slow press or contribute because we're looking for videographers like I don't want to force it into something that's not in our DNA it's like if I just like taking random casual IG stories that's going to be our primary form of reaching out to people yeah Yeah.
0: fascinating um in in viewing your your different volumes I noticed two things that I really want to talk about Mm. um what thought and ideation goes into the covers? Because I think for right. your most recent one, I think it's like a dual <laughs> cover with the cat yes. and everything. So what what was the story behind it? And like what, what kind of like a uh, conversations are, are you guys mm. having as a team to say, okay, this is gonna be the cover because of that, that, that. Yeah.
1: I love the cover discussions because it really just lets our imagination run wild. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, with reference to like the latest volume first, um, because the theme was bittersweet. I think we really wanted to do like half bitter, half sweet. And I wanted to do like, if you flip it around, the reading experience is different, but it was way too hard to format and we scared like, we'll fuck up the paging and everything. So we just stuck to like dual covers Mm -hmm. and pink and green were the two colors we chose from the start because like literally bitter and sweet. And we were like, oh, let's just make something contrasting. And... I don't know how the discussion became like, oh, let's use like my friend's cats. <laughs> so it's quite funny because like, I think because we have seen the cats so many times on like Instagram and stuff, right? Then we were like, dude, this cat is like always grumpy and the mm-hmm. other cat is mm-hmm. always like happy and they all live in the same family. I mean, they're all like children or yep. like, yeah, crossbreed and stuff, right? Yep. Then, then we, we were just like, what if we do a shoot with like the cats and the bitter god, like the grumpy cats in the bitter god yep. and the sweet cat with like the strawberries and we spent like a month like feeding them I'm not really feeding them like observing how they respond to these items mm-hmm. and getting them used to like the backdrops that we use for the shoot because if not they were like fidget and they won't cooperate so we, we had to like do a recce and like see which of the cats suited like the covers the most because there are like four cats in the household yeah, 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 yeah. so like I think that was very fun because we've never done something like that before mm-hmm. And we wanted something that would just like stand out to people and start a conversation because a lot of people thought we are a cat magazine. People came up to us at our booths because like they see seeing it for the first time. They're like, oh, you guys, are you guys a cat magazine or a pet magazine? Yeah. Like, I love cats. And we're like, oh, actually we are a food magazine. <laughs> and we try to explain to them like, it's very interesting how cats perceive like these flavors just like humans. Like we don't like bitter foods. So like, huh, that, that's the same as us, you know. But it doesn't rule out like everything else that we think about food. Like we might hate bitter food from the start, but it doesn't mean that like, that won't change forever. You can acquire
0: the taste. Yeah.
1: So that's what we go deep into and like we write the editor's notes and also through the stories. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Feels like a conversation starter. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But for volume one to four, the approach was quite different because we didn't have a team and we didn't want to limit the writers to anything, right? So after all the stories are pitched, we try to see what's the recurring like idea. Mm. And it's really like, okay, we're not trying to force things out. So the first... The first volume didn't really have a theme. So we just wanted like this man like in a Nasi Lamak setting but going through like the sea like because it's us venturing into the unknown. Yeah. Then the second one, I mean like all of them have food as the main components. Yep. Second one, the overall idea is kind of like noodles. And we wanted to make like something that looked like a kinfolk cover. But we weaved together like different kinds of Singaporean noodles. And we just made it into, like a, a scarf. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The third one was like a Humpty Dumpty falling off a, a wall yep. because it was supposed to be a childhood-themed-ish kind of volume. Yep. And we used like Sorted Egg instead because there's like a local twist to it. Yeah. And the fourth one was like, oh, it was like the the sea and like, this, like the crabs. And we used like Aga Aga to make like the sea and everything. Yeah. yeah.
0: Sounds so like you guys are very hands on to, to create the cover and you guys shoot it yourself.
1: Yes, we do that in Melody's house without like a purpose to in do same. anything. It's yeah. always on her washing machine or on the floor. Yeah. And we try to like <laughs> use a bit of artificial lighting yeah. and like yeah. post produce everything. Yeah. And everything contains food. So actually in volume four, we did a bonus shoot inside. So we did four separate food islands I want to talk about that I found yes. that to
0: be amazing yeah <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah like we really love the idea because that was supposed to be our anniversary edition that's why it's also in red and different from yeah. the rest and it's also the thickest one with the most number of recipes yeah. so for that we did a lot more like chef features and a lot more like family recipes yeah. also because like that's supposed to sum, sum up like the the first format of the slow press like we didn't want to do that anymore we wanted to change to like the theme volume and stuff right yeah so for that we created like the tiffin islands so each tiffin has a different world of its own and represents the story that comes after it so we use like real like roasted duck from like the duck store yep <laughs> yeah and like we also use like things like mangoes and like star yep. fruit yeah everything is edible in our covers okay most things don't eat like <laughs> don't try to eat like the the clay man or like yeah. Ice cream sticks. <laughs> so, so, was it?
0: So, let's, let's say for, for the Tiffin, like, right. did, did someone just come out and say, why not we try something like this? And you guys just. Right. Oh, yeah. I us to
1: talk about the process. So, usually when we have a call for the covers, like, I mean, we can't really meet in person all the time. So, after we have all the stories solidified, like, we have the design drafts and we know kind of like the colors that people are using. Because we don't have a standardized format for every spread. Yep. I don't really want to have a magazine that is like. Same layout, from like,
0: issue to issue even.
1: Yeah, from page to page mm. even. Yeah, each designer has their own unique style. So like we'll just gather on the call and then we'll just be like, guys, go any cover ideas or not? Like childhood as the theme. Then people will be like, uh, like hopscotch made of candy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's why we had like the jewelry box made of candy gotcha. and stuff like that. But for the Tiffin Island one, I have no idea how it came about. Because <laughs> there was this piece. Called on like Tiffin Bicycle Club, it was an interview with Desmond mentioned like this chef who did this Tiffin project. Mm. So I think I suggested like, let's do like different Tiffins. But I think somebody else said like, why don't we make them into like islands that represent like the different stories? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm. I think it's really innovative. And what I'm curious to know is, um, while, while reading through the magazine, I find, especially in the most recent issue, your stories, I think- to me, they feel very tender and they feel very personal. Is that the intention? Because you mentioned like a change in direction, you wanted to focus on different things. So would this be, let's say, the direction for the foreseeable future?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think like we want to speak from our personal experience as much as possible and building on that topic, talk to people who have similar experiences or like just have knowledge about the topic, which is why it's not really like just an interview piece, just... Mm an essay it's like a mix of both because then you can draw conclusions that relate to like society and like I think it's just very nice how like people in these different like positions can come together like your personal curiosity can stem from yourself then after that maybe you talk to your mother about like how she used to do this then you talk to the market vendor and how like her family does this and like it just builds and like people are talking about the same thing, but they're all different opinions. Yeah. And I think that's the direction for like the future, of course. Yeah. And yeah, I guess like journalism law, just continuing yeah. this yeah, thread.
0: I, I I think what I do like about it is like how you focus on not actually the food, but I guess what it means because what that, that, that definition is so subjective. Mm. I think one of the, the the recent articles is about I think fruits and yes. I think the symbology of it.
1: I think it's so cool how my writer could just pitch that. It's like something I'll never associate when you yep. want to do something about like bittersweet, you know. You just think of like, oh, bitter gold and like candy. Yep. Yep. And like maybe dessert recipe. Yep. Maybe like um, the most you can do is just like very literal things. Yep. But to like think out of the box and like, what does this word mean to you? Or like, what does the flavor of this food mean to you? Yep. It can open doors to a lot of different things. Yeah.
0: Because it's oftentimes, it comes from very personal. And as I said, tender. It's It's a yeah. very like... It's just a very um engaging and and I think mind opening read, I would say. Mm. So I think my final question to you is what does food mean to you? And how has that changed um from I think from young to now running the slow press? Yeah. What 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 does food mean to you?
1: Food means everything to me.
0: Wow. <laughs> Put it on a t-shirt. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I think about food a lot, a lot. Like I feel like I really want to make each meal nice and enjoyable for myself. Sometimes I am not allowed to do so. Like if I'm sick or like if somebody else is like... If they're having like, a business meeting, you know, I have to eat. Whatever food the person like asks me to eat or like catering yep. or like, family meals... It's like already prescribed to me, you know. Yeah. And it, I mean, like I can't fault anyone if it's a poor food choice. But to me, I really want to make the best food choices for myself. Mm-hmm. If I get to decide what to eat for my next meal... I make sure that it's something that I'll be happy with. La. So sometimes it goes to like the, the length of like traveling a bit further just to obtain like a better prata,
2: mm.
1: Or like if I'm really craving like a good croissant, I'll literally like take transport out to do so and not like just settle for, for one that I might not be very happy with. Mm-hmm. Food is something that makes me very happy. It's something that brings people together. Although it's like people might not appreciate the same dish the same way like friends that hate bitter god And I'm like, dude, bitter gourd is amazing. But when they try like the fried bitter god at, at like this banana leaf restaurant, like basically like, it's, I think it's like an Indian dish with like deep fried tempura batter, b- bitter god. Okay. It's, it's so good. And people are like, no, it's not bitter god, It's just like crack. So it's like, <laughs> I think food changes perceptions on a lot of things. Mm. And... I guess making a lot of like international friends when we go for art book fairs, we see everyone coming together and they're like, um, my Japanese friend has never eaten like prata before and his, he's so fascinated. He's like, dude, what's this thing? Like, I can't, I don't have bread in Japanese cuisine. Like, tell me about it. Yeah. And we're like, oh, this is just brata law. But yeah, like, yeah. like, yeah. like, like we're, we're seeing things in such a new light when like people are fascinated by food. Yep. And like the whole thing about being able to make food for someone, it's like the labor of love and like even if it's not great, like you know your friend put in like entire day's effort or like yeah. even months to perfect a recipe and yep. you're like, this is this is delicious because it's made from the heart. Yep. And it's just heartwarming when we can enjoy food together, no matter good or bad. I don't want to see it as something that people have to be too critical about. But like, of course, I want to make the best food decisions for myself. La. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I believe that's a beautiful way to end this episode. Before we end, is there anything else you would like to talk about?
1: Try to wake up for breakfast and like <laughs> if you have to eat three meals a day, just make the most out of it. yeah. Don't shortchange what you deserve when it comes to food.
0: Fascinating. Um, where can people find the slopers? Uh what do you guys have um in twenty twenty three?
1: right Um. we are very active on Instagram or at least I am so you can just like DM us anytime we will definitely be going to the markets a lot still trying to find people to cook with and like we will, we will still be doing like stuff we are curious about on Instagram we are working on volume 6 in a bit
0: do you have but- an idea of what volume 6 will be like Uh Oh, is it we still can't really under closed Okay. Okay.
1: But we are definitely looking for contributors this month or next month. Yep. So if you guys are interested, you can always like contact us when we send out like the call and stuff. Yeah. But in the meantime, you can enjoy volume five. You can pick it up from neighbor right here. <laughs> right <there. laughs>
0: Neighbor's store. <laughs> neighbor
1: store, yep. a rookie's coffee shop, yep. as well as Bashir
0: Graphic Books.
1: Yep. Yeah. So
0: before you continue, why these three particular stores? Like what was it about them that let's say rookie's coffee? Like Bashir? Mm. How how did the conversation start? Like did you approach them? Do you start do you eat do you patron these particular stores? Right.
1: Yeah. Bashir is great. Everyone that likes magazines goes there. Yeah. So like even international people go yeah. there. And like, yeah, we don't even need to like introduce the magazine or something. People will just pick it up, they like it, then like yeah, they can bring it home and read it.
0: Were they very open to just stalking you guys?
1: I think they like to support Singapore magazines, definitely. Because, yeah. I mean, they bring in so much international stuff, right? But putting local stuff out there is like, Bashir is the best place to do so. Mm. Then for Rookies, we had our launch party with them. So it's like natural for us to like just continue selling it there. Yeah. Because like, I'm friends with the owner as well. So it's it's very nice. Like we both like support each other. Yeah. And same for neighbor like, Everyone like supports creative things. And like, I'm very thankful for you guys. Yeah.
0: Sounds mega chill. Um, This has been a beautiful time. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and feel inspired. If you enjoyed what you heard thus far, do give us a follow on Instagram. And don't forget to share and subscribe. Stay tuned for the next episode.